listening to episode 31 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic journalists and friends who decided to do a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. I'm not happy, me, Sean Oakland. Yeah, I'm not happy. Nothing means nothing, Sean. Unjustifiably in a place I'd rather not be in. Yeah, and I even had my <laughs> cup of coffee, huh? These little men over in the long box didn't even know that Macho Madness existed. Uh-huh. They don't even know what the Macho Man sounds like. And they say we don't read comics, mean Sean Oakland. Uh-huh. Not only that, but they don't realize that we are the comics. Yeah. We're putting the Interpodcast Comic Championship back on the map. <sighs> And we are the cream, and the cream will always rise to the top. Yeah, we are the most sweatiest men on the podcast interwebs. Not only that, but we are the most dog petness too. Uh-huh. On balance, off balance, it doesn't matter, because we'll always beat them at injustice too. Yeah, because we are the five-star podcast. What the fuck was that thank you phil (laughs) first of all i didn't understand (laughs) half the words you just said at least that's how you cut a promo Mm. i've got the macho man this kill and you don't know what to do you don't speak savage Uh macho man randy savage no this week i've uh i've only been speaking archie okay so for those of you who are unaware of what the hell is happening on this uh, show that we like to call the Comics Pals. Phil is responding to Matt Murphy from the Longbox Podcast, who attempted to cut a promo on us on their most recent episode. If you would like to hear that, uh, for whatever reason, you should go check them out, the Longbox Podcast. See, here's the deal, and I'm not going to address this for too long, but I do have a few words. I like those guys. I'm a fan of those guys. And uh, they chose to take their aggressions towards Phil, who is the heel of this show, out on all five of us and our five-star rating, which is legit, for which we are very proud. Thank you, Matt. Uh, And I didn't appreciate that too much. So, as a result, we had to unleash Phil. And if this is to continue, then we're going to have to settle this one way or another. And I do have a suggestion, if it must come to that, and that suggestion is called Injustice 2. So, you guys can let me know with your response on your next episode whether or not this is squashed now, or we have to settle this in the video game. In the ring! (laughs) (laughs) The years of the world turn upon you, Longbox Podcast. What you gonna do about it? Slap it to a Slim Jim! (laughs) so if if you would like to tell us that you'd like to see this showdown you can reach out to us all over the internet you can hit us up on itunes and leave us a five-star rating we are a five-star rated podcast very very proud of that indeed and always will be uh you can also find us on soundcloud we're very happy to be there and all the other podcast hosting platforms we are all over social media at the Comics Pals. 
Uh, you can write to us at thecomicspalace at gmail.com. And YouTube, if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, you can leave a comment. You can like the video and subscribe to the channel, which really helps us out. Those shares are super important. Let people know that we are here and that you enjoy what we do so we can bring more pals into the fold. So it's been a been a pretty good, interesting week in the comic book world. I'm really excited to talk some Wonder Woman today. We're going to dive into Wonder Woman. Her movie's coming out really soon. So that's exciting. But before we get into all that stuff, I do want to ask you guys how your week has been and what's been going on. Uh, Pete, you want to set us off? Sure, man. Um, much like you, uh, I spent the better part of this week very sick. Uh, so not too, too much to report. Um, but uh, I am very much looking forward to our main topic this week because uh, I, I think as I've made well known on this show, I've never really been much of a DC guy. Um, no, you? I read my... No, I know, right? Biggest DC fan on the internet. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I've read my first two Wonder Woman books, and I love them, and I can't wait to talk about them. Cool. Uh, I do want to ask, since I did leave my copy of Injustice at your house, uh, has it been used, and how are you and everyone else enjoying my game? Uh, it has been being used. Um, I've been doing a little bit of... Uh, some of the online stuff and then just battling people, you know, like locally. Um, and it's, it's a ton of fun. I really love the game and, uh, I'm getting a lot more comfortable with it, I think. Cause while it is a lot like Mortal Kombat, it does have a bit of its own flow. Um, that took some getting used to, uh, I'm lucky in that the characters that I tend to like and be good with seem to be the ones that are kind of gravitating towards the top of the meta anyway. So, um, that's usually a big problem for me in fighting game. Yeah, the the cream is rising to the top, as it were. Um, yeah, 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 we get it, Phil. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I'm still mating Supergirl. Love her a lot, and uh, I want to get a little bit more comfortable with Swamp Thing because I like the way he plays, but he's not quite in my wheelhouse. I'm not usually as good with the the slower characters that require a little more planning. No one I think. truly gets comfortable with Swamp Thing. Just ask Marco. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay, cool. So, Phil, I know you also play Injustice and have been playing it. Uh, are you enjoying it still? Uh, I didn't get a lot of time to play it this week, but last night I uh, I took like three hours to play it. And I was like looking for that for a while. Like ever since I bought the game, I was like, I need a night where I can just, not, you know, I, I could nestle a nice little ash cushion in for myself where like the cushion recognizes the imprint of my butt cheeks. Because I've been sitting there for so long and play this game, and I mean I'm I'm like six chapters into the story, and the story is pretty good. The dialogue is real silly, but um, I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure Superman is still my main. Uh, I uh, I got Darkseid and Brainiac though, and Darkseid is a lot of fun to play as. Awesome. Uh, so when we do go to Philly for Wizard World, which is next week, by the way. Uh, and we will be doing a lot of coverage there, so you guys can stay tuned for all that stuff. Uh, but when we are there and we aren't working, there there's going to be some play, right? We're gonna we're gonna play some injustice too. Oh, are you kidding me? We gotta settle we gotta settle your fucking rivalry, man. If you guys didn't tune in the last week's episode or you listened to the audio only version and didn't see the main topic, which was our first ever let's play of Injustice Two, it unfortunately ended mid bout. So we've gotta we've gotta settle the tiebreaker, man. You down, Phil? Yeah. 
Yeah, we have. Well, we have to. We have to crown a new interpodcast comics champion. Battle Royale round two, baby. Sounds good. And if you guys, if you guys do want to see more of that stuff and you enjoyed it, uh, let us know. Uh, I already shouted out all the ways you can do that, but definitely do let us know. Uh, Kale, how about you? What's been going on, man? I've got nothing to report. Uh, That's not I'm... even true. Kale just doesn't want to talk about the fact that he's been watching Riverdale. Uh, oh right, I did have a whole bit. All right, oh well. Uh, yeah, I, uh, uh, Murphy, Murphy, and I are planning to do a review of uh, Riverdale. Uh, we're hoping to release it maybe around the the time of the second season premiere. And um, so I'm I'm about halfway through. I I committed myself. It's all I've been watching, and the fact that I'm only halfway through really uh, shows how great I am at watching TV. But Man, this show, my opinion has not changed. But now that it's all I've been, now that it's all I've been watching, it's like all I can think about. This is the worst. I got got in a fight with my boss last night at work, and I immediately went to Riverdale. Like in the middle, like mid argument, like my head was just elsewhere. What the you hell? Went to Riverdale. Yeah, listeners, I'm worried for this man's like mental security mental status i'm worried that he's literally gonna drift into riverdale in a twilight zone-esque like drift can we just address the lie real quick though kale said that now that he's watching riverdale it's all he can think about i believe that it's always (laughs) been all he can think about yeah, oh my god, it's always been You're there. Always on my mind. <laughs> uh I do have one maybe contentious thing to say though. Uh about Riverdale? No. no. Tangentially related. Uh Cole Sprouse plays Jughead, right? From uh The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Yeah. All grown up. I'd like to sim- see him play uh Terry McGinnis. In a Batman Beyond film. Hmm. That's interesting. Because uh, Jughead, it's he's not the comic relief in this show. If anything, he's like the the angsty, emo, like overly emotional character. Hmm. And they call him Jughead? That's his name. That's the name of the character. Yeah. I know the name of the character, but like this emo, angsty boy. Well, that's his Jughead. <laughs> You know what I mean? I I mean, I got nothing there, Phil. You you got me. He was an idiot kid, man. That's why he's emo. But uh, he has this—he has this real, like, you know, Terry McGinnis hanging out with the the on the rough side of the tracks, breaking into Bruce Wayne's. I don't remember how Terry McGinnis got the Batman Beyond costume. Actually, no, no, please tell us how that happened. So he broke into. Tell us how you remember it. He broke into Bruce Wayne's house, right? And he found out that he was Batman. He stole Dick Grayson's like three piece suit. I I remember that. I and think they're spot he, on uh, so far. And then he uh, finds the Batcave, and he says, "Oh, that's a Batman." He does, yeah. He he was very Italian for a scene. <laughs> Whoa, that's a spicy Batman. <laughs> so this is kind of random, but. Uh, do you guys think we'll ever see a Batman Beyond movie? No. I don't know about never. I think uh, that movie that... Uh, oh God. Uh, that uh, Did you guys watch that YouTube video uh, I posted? Uh, I think it was yesterday. 
about like uh where superhero movies can go uh after logan oh yeah no i didn't get a chance to watch that yet i saw you posted that on our twitter though. so it's basically it's basically like if if logan is like if it's like the last of like a a a, a generation of of superhero movies that are just like superhero movies and we're like as tired of them as we say we are where does the genre go so you know I- I just watched Logan last night, actually. I watched the noir version. And I watched this, and I'm like, this is where these things should be moving toward. One writer, one director, and more intimate storytelling. I mean, that's not where most of these are going to go, but that's where, that's like the logical logical progression. This is more meaningful stories. So, yeah, so what I'm getting at is that, like, a Batman Beyond would be an interesting move in that direction i think i agree yeah I, I totally agree with that sentiment man i honestly think that and granted this would be like years and years away but say we have another really good trilogy of batman movies right and we we come to love a new actor as batman in the same way that we have attachment to maybe not the exact same way because hugh jackman is special and that he's been playing wolverine for like forever you know um like what 15 years or something like that but uh even more than that actually but um I think if we had a similar relationship to a Batman who then was like an older actor, you know, like if Ben Affleck had stuck with Batman and we had three great Batfleck films, we love Ben Affleck as Batman, and then Adam West, that actually that could work pretty well. Um, but yeah, a character, a, an actor, a character who we associate with Batman in that way, playing old Bruce, and then we have this new young blood. I think that could totally work. I think that could totally have the same resonance as a movie like Logan. I'm totally with you, Kale. The thing about Logan that works so well isn't the f- necessarily the fact that this has been an actor that's betraying the character for 15 straight years. It helps. Oh, but I think that's I, a huge I, part of the equation. I don't think it works yeah. without that. Yeah, I, I agree. No, because I know people that like aren't even super familiar with it. and it's. I think the movie stands on its own, honestly, because the quality of acting... And like the things that are like, it's not just Hugh Jackman that's amazing in that movie. Like, I mean, uh, the X twenty three character is exceptional. Even Patrick Stewart does a great like, job with what little yeah, he has. It's 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 a story about like fathers and like children and stuff. Like, I don't know. Well, uh, but it's it's because like uh, I saw it with my friend last night who's never seen the original X Men movies and he fucking loved it. It's, he, it's like his favorite movie. Of the I, mean, year. I don't disagree with you that it stands on its own at all because it's just a well-executed film. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think to have a Batman Beyond movie have resonance, it would kind of need to have that to a degree. But I think I think your point about Adam West that would work just fine in my mind. So, like one thing this video points out is that like Logan uses like the superhero vehicle, but it adds like a like a the western. It uses the western themes and right, and, and it's you know very much. Uh, while it's a superhero movie, it's also a western at heart. I think one thing you could do with like a Batman Beyond movie is you can make it like Blade Runner or something. That's what I was thinking. Like a like a huh. like a dark seedy sort yeah. of a, like dystopian kind of future. Uh, yeah, maybe not necessarily like a uh, like 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 cyberpunk like neo future maybe. I feel like all those things are very present in Batman Beyond as well. Yeah. I think that vibe would really work. Who who does Blade Runner? Who's what's the director? Uh, Ridley Scott. Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, it's Ridley Scott, Harrison Ford. Ridley Scott could probably do a pretty sick Batman Beyond movie. Uh, he's not uh, much of a director anymore. He's not. Uh, yeah. Judging by the Alien Covenant 
reviews. I don't. I think on it, when it comes to comic book movies, it, it's probably fair to say that all of these studios have become obsessed with the 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 appeal, formula. Of the formula, but also the connectivity. And you know, comic book fans know that some of the best stories ever told are actually standalone. Uh, and I would argue most. Yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that argument. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Uh, and on screen, we haven't really seen as many of those movies. Um, that e- even when you're talking about like a trilogy, they're still beholden to what came before. Logan isn't in a lot of ways. It, it, it makes reference to, but isn't reverent to the past. And I think that that's an important element of that film. And so a Batman Beyond movie, I think, would, would be able to do a similar thing. It, but you could do it with any character as long as you made a point to not connect it so much to a wider universe. Uh, so I, I think that there's a great chance that we could see these kind of movies in the future in a large part due to Logan's success. As I've said many times before, anything could be good. You're trash. Uh, I definitely I agree with you, Sean. I think the only issue with Batman Beyond is that it is in, is kind of inherently built upon the bones of something else. Like that's what it is, you know. Like, and I, I feel like it it is one specific property that I think it definitely benefits from having from you having baggage with Batman with Bruce, you know, before you come into that movie or that universe. You start Star Wars with Luke Skywalker and old Ben Kenobi. You don't know anything about Ben Kenobi, but pop culture knows plenty about Bruce Wayne and Batman. You can do this movie without any context because the movie isn't about Bruce Wayne. It's about Terry McGinnis. Not to mention that I think the context that's required uh, can come from the movie itself. Here's this. That's Yeah, yeah that's a good point. I, I think there's a lot of ways to pull that off in a graceful way without requiring too much from the viewer. You know what? Actually, yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna double back on that. I'm with you because you know how they solve that? They give you, uh, like what was it? The 2006 Hulk movie or whatever, 2008, um, where it's like you just opening credits show the moment that makes Batman retire or whatever. We pick up Batman's yeah. old man. Terry's yeah. going into the Batcave. Let's let's go. I mean, yeah, that's the first five minutes of Batman Beyond. Like, right? Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people watch that show without watching the animated series. Like, there were kids that just came in. That I don't agree with that at all. I think that's, I, I I watched Batman Beyond as a kid without watching the animated series. I was you, too young to watch the animated series. You never watched Batman the animated series? Not as a kid. I was too young. That's crazy. Your parents were robbing you of a of a well, really I, important experience. I, I watched it when I was a teenager. I came back and bought the DVDs. But like when Batman Beyond came on, I was like eight years old, and that was that was like my first foray into the DC animated universe. I feel I feel like you're probably I feel like there's probably not too many people like that, but. Maybe I, obviously you're you're one of them. So, well, in any event, I I would love to see something like that, and I'm I'm hopeful that the future of uh, these movies is trending towards that, at least as a supplement to what we're undoubtedly going to get, which is more crossover. Yeah, and like I again, you know, we talked about this in two episodes ago when Chris Sabella was on, and you know, we talked about superhero fatigue and stuff like that, and like I think it's a problem, but. I'd be lying if I said that I was, like, really bothered by it. I tend to land more on your side of the fence, Sean, where it's, like, if the movie's good, I like the movie, you know? So it's, like, I don't really, like, 
I don't think that superheroes as a genre are as susceptible to the kind of bloat and fatigue that... Because I, I think a really common thing, right, is I see a lot of film critics or film historians and stuff make comparisons between uh, the boom of superhero movies and westerns, right? And that, like, westerns were all-encompassing in Hollywood for forever until they weren't, you know? And they just died. They Everyone totally lost interest in them. But superheroes are way, 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 way more, di- like, diverse as a genre, you know, it's like the Guardians of the Galaxy could not be more different than Captain America Winter Soldier. You know, like, and I think that is the way forward for these movies is realizing that superhero shouldn't be a genre of film. That, like, superheroes can be whatever you need them to be. And, like, there are tropes of a superhero movie, but plenty of really good superhero movies don't follow those tropes and they're better for it. See, with West, I, I, I've seen a lot of Westerns and, like, the only thing that's the same about Westerns is the setting. It's the West, but like no, but like that's the, huge. Like, not really, because like I mean, it, it's a setting, but like thematically, a lot of these movies are really different. A movie like the John Ford's The Searchers is. I'm not. I'm not criticizing westerns, though, dude. Like that's. I like you're. Oh, right, I know. I know. But that's not my point, though. I'm saying that like they're uh, they're similarly diverse in a way that superhero movies would be. If because the only thing that is, I mean, to, to say that superhero movies are more diverse than westerns is is kind of a misnomer uh of just like a superficial surface level well, that's detail. not what i said though phil i said that, that the superheroes as a genre are more diverse than westerns. wait wait Th- but, but i know that's what i'm taking umbrage with but so with with westerns right there are some things that are like repetitive that i could see people being ready to move beyond like for example, the setting, right? So, if every movie in in the Marvel universe was set in space, for instance, people would be over it in two seconds. I think that even the diversity of setting is what. See, m- go ahead. What people are, what people got sick of in your general western was the formula of a general western, and what people are sick of in the superhero movies is the formula of a generic superhero movie. That's right. the that's the issue. But there are, there are Western movies that diverge from that, just like there are superhero movies that diverge from that. So for every generic B-list Western movie, there's The Magnificent Seven. There's The Searchers. There's um, High Noon. And do, you for mean, every, do you mean for every 10 generic Western movies, there are those couple for every of movies? Generic, well, yeah, but for every five generic Marvel movies, there's Logan. There's The Dark Knight. Yeah, but okay, but the key difference there is like I, I really think that you're oversimplifying like how different those things are at their core though because like op- like yeah, the themes of every western are different, but like the setting is always going to be the same. Your protect pr- protagonist is always going to be a, you know, a generally a white dude. Like there there are a lot of things that like and those don't have to be the truths, but like you can't necessarily have like a spy movie or an espionage movie in the setting of the old west because it just doesn't necessarily work that way you can't have a movie that's a space opera in the west because it doesn't work that way you can do those things with superheroes and like that does make that's that's the point i'm making not that superhero movies are more diverse i think the point you're making of like the formula is still true but like there's a certain limitation you have in we're in this time period in this one portion of the world the one thing i'm gonna say to that is you're like Every hero is a white dude. I'm like, man, that's every movie from that era. <laughs> that's true. And it's hey, it's not like superhero movies are that much better. That's fair. But you do have the option, 
right? Like there's a certain like you're not going to see a movie about an Asian American sheriff. You know, like that's just not a thing that's really like I guess you could, but it's probably not going to play out that way. Hey guys, remember when we were a comics podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was actually going to say, how about we retroactively make that the random question of the week? All right. <laughs> That's fine with me. I uh, That works. I actually wanted to try out something new. Uh, I want to want to play a little, little game. Uh, it's not much of a game. It's more of a question, but it's not a random question. Uh, it's, it's buy or sell. So we've all talked about this in the past, but the audience may not be familiar with what this is, so I'll give you the quick rundown it's very simple so i will give you two options right and you will tell me if you want to buy it or sell it if you buy it it exists if you sell it it never did okay so here's the question and once i ask it you'll you'll immediately understand so buy or sell on the dark knight trilogy or the iron man trilogy so if you take one the other does not exist ever in history and you have to consider what that would look like if you removed okay. it i got you this is easy phil go is ahead that, that's the first question yeah okay phil go uh, ahead. buy the dark knight trilogy explain uh, the iron man the first one's pretty good but the rest of the iron movies aren't very good and i don't really care about the avengers interconnected shit so like for me i'd rather have two really good movies um one forgettable movie and then be done with this very bloated web <laughs> so you would you would kill the marvel universe basically yeah okay <laughs> i'm the biggest villain of all time surprising no one all right pete well i'm gonna pick the exact opposite because i think that um the dark knight is arguably the best superhero movie ever made but it's not it, it's an outlier like it's it's in the genre but I don't think it was extremely influential um, in any way other than that it's it's fantastic. Like, it's a fantastic movie. Um, I don't like it Dark Knight Rises. It inspired the tone of a bunch of shitty DC movies after that. That's true. Yeah, it did do that. Um, so if I got rid of that, maybe we actually have a good DCU now. Um, so that's there's that's one thing. But um, Dark, I think Dark Knight Rises is terrible. Uh, I really don't think it's a good movie at all. It's really poorly paced. It's... A hot mess in a lot of ways, and I think Batman was it um, begins begins. Yeah, it's solid. I, I like it fine, but if I never saw that movie again, or if I had never seen that movie again, I don't really think that my life would be too too much lessened. You know, you're, you're killing Sean with your comments about Dark Knight Rises, though. I know. I I really hate that movie. Like that could be an episode in and of itself. I think it's I think it's an objectively bad movie. You ever um, hear what Nolan said about it before it came out? Chris no, Nolan, what? He, he said something to the effect of, like, this is the greatest movie since the silent era. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, I don't even... I think it... Of all the movies I've seen that he's made, I think it might actually be my least favorite. So, um... And then, for Iron Man, I... I Iron Man 1 is a great movie. I, I like Iron Man 2 a lot more than the general populace seems to. Iron Man 3 is not good, um... But it's also not terrible. It's fine. Um, but the importance of the Iron Man trilogy in my mind is, is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, which I'm a fan of. So you take that away. I don't think you have that. And again, I think the first Iron Man movie is one of the best superhero movies ever made. So, um, yeah, that's my pick. That was very reasonable. Kale? So, (laughs) Pete Pete and I laid it out pretty good, I think. Yeah, I think you both did. 
Yeah, like point the, counterpoint. Kale, where do yeah. you fall? So yeah. I'm somewhere in between. Oh, all right. I'm going to pick Iron Man 1, The Dark Knight, and Iron Man 3. <laughs> oh, fuck that. <laughs> I I think I gotta pick Batman. Um, Because while I do dearly... I, I do... I don't know. I guess I won't say dearly love, but I do... I do love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but I think without Batman Begins, I don't think Iron Man would have been as successful. Because, and that's what I was looking up on my phone just a second ago. Batman Begins came out in 2005. Yeah. Iron Man yeah. came out in 2008. Yeah. But Batman Begins was like a modest success. Yeah, Batman Begins was like really not a big deal. Lord right, but like it, a lot of people it, saw The Dark Knight without hey, seeing You Batman had your turn. <laughs> Alright, whatever. Uh, and I, 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 while I, while Batman Begins might have been a modest success, I do think it set a tone for the movies that came after it. And I think, I think even, even though The Dark Knight Rises was a lot more successful and in a lot of ways and a lot, uh, and uh, a lot better movie, I think without Batman Begins, uh, I don't think we would have had the generation of movies that have come after it. I think it was really like the the forerunner of all that. So uh, I think my answer is Batman Begins. Your uh, answer is Batman I, Begins. The Batman. Yeah, the Batman. <laughs> the ba- uh, Just Batman so Begins. Only Batman Begins. I think uh, I, th- I, 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 Iron Man, Iron Man was great, but I think like I mean, had they started with Doctor Strange in the same way, like had they shown Doctor Strange in two thousand eight, I think we would have gotten the same result. Yeah, so I'm going to give what's probably going to be a surprising answer. I I would choose Iron Man. Uh, I knew it. Adam, that's not surprising. The The Dark Knight is my favorite superhero movie. The Dark Knight is one of my favorite films. I think it's impenetrable. I think Dark Knight Rises is phenomenal. What they put into that movie, it just, just it, whatever. I'm not going to go on a whole soliloquy, but I really love that movie. And Batman. There should be begins. a let's watch of De- The Dark Knight Rises with Pete and Sean. Yo, yes. Sean would literally probably strangle me by the end of it because of how much I would audibly sigh and roll my eyes. That is like the movie I am the most Phil Casey about. And because it's a th- it's a three hour movie and you'd have to sit through it the whole time. Yep, it's a three hour movie. To be fair, it probably should have been two parts, but I think it's I, I think it's great. Batman Begins. Or an hour shorter. If you look, watch the wisecrack video about what went wrong with the Dark Knight Rises. And I have. Oh, you did? Okay. All right. Yeah, I love wisecrack. Yeah, me too, dude. So, and, and Batman <laughs> Begins is also phenomenal. So, fucking go watch, go watch Batman Begins and wisecrack. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but Iron Man, the Iron Man trilogy, to me, is not particularly good. I only like Iron Man one. Iron Man two is serviceable. Iron Man three was a slap in the face for me. And I know a lot of people, you know, they don't understand why comic book fans who have been invested in comics feel that way, but that's how I feel. I really was hurt. Not not hurt. I don't want to over-exaggerate, but I, I didn't <laughs> like what they did with the Mandarin. It really bothered me. Uh, but that being said, I love the Marvel Universe so much, the cinematic universe, and it's so intrinsic in my life now, these movies. Uh, I wait for them 
with bated breath. They're a highlight of my year every year. And they've introduced so many new people into what it is that we love. And in many ways, it's opened up new avenues for even us, you know, that I wouldn't want to see that not exist. And also, like, there's the problem of, like, what happened, maybe we, ne- we never would have gotten, like, the Netflix shows. Right. You know, and, like, those are other things we really love. In my mind, with this buy or sell, all of that is off the table. Because if you know the history, it was Iron Man or Bust. Like, yep. if that like didn't... Iron Man's the linchpin. Yeah, if that didn't happen, there, none of this was going to happen. So, I have to choose that and sacrifice the Dark Knight trilogy, which I love to death. Uh, but, yeah. So I, I I think we all really gave reasoned reasonable responses and I actually had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, that was fun. I would definitely do that again. Yeah, for sure. Um, Let us know in the comments or whatever if you guys like that segment. We'll definitely do more of it. Yes, buy or sell you know, or, you or whatever. Send them in. <laughs> you can you can send them in and we will do them uh, live on the air. Buy or sell or you know if whatever. You're good. <laughs> Before we jump into the news, I do want to highlight some of this week's comic releases some of the more important ones uh so, so you mean it's time for some pals pulls pals pulls there you go hashtag <laughs> pals pulls uh so wonder woman 23 from dc uh this is the i believe it's the penultimate issue of greg rucka's run uh which has been absolutely phenomenal i have sung its praises i have i'm a massive massive fan of this run uh, and I'm very, I'm actually very thankful for this run because I was looking for a reason to like dive into Wonder Woman heavy, and I only bought it at first because it was Greg Rucka and Nicholas Scott and Liam Sharp who are all fantastic, um, and and from the first issue I was just absolutely hooked, and uh, so I'm really sad actually that their run is coming to an end, but it is. And if you are interested in Wonder Woman, obviously now with the movie coming out, it's a perfect time to jump on board with that. Um, Beauty 15, that's a book that we've highlighted on the show before. I think Marco uh, talked, it, talked it up at some point. Yeah, um, so that's that's out this week from Image, also Deadly Class number 28, uh, which is a great series that's been going strong for a long time. Uh, from Marvel, we've got All New Wolverine number 19. We just had the release of Logan on DVD and Blu-ray, and this is Laura uh, X-23 in her solo series, so check that out. Uh, Captain America Steve Rogers, number 17, continuing the threads of Secret Empire. That's still going strong if you enjoy that. I Am Groot number one, which actually features baby Groot. I don't know if you guys knew that, um, but Marvel has turned Groot into a baby now. Uh, so I wonder why they would do that. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of weird, right? Uh, yeah, weird. Gene, it's almost like synergistic marketing or something. Yeah, huh? Uh, Gene well, Gray number two. So, Kale, are you going to pick that up? I, I, I haven't got right, my uh, free copy of uh, Gene Gray number one. I got you in Philly. So, I never commented on the show about how I thought what I thought about the first issue, so I'll do it briefly here. I actually really liked it, but it made me... it it, it More than me liking it, it made me miss... The old Jean Grey. So I'm still going to read the series, but I just really long for Jean Grey to return. The real Jean Grey, not this child with no bag. Uh, <laughs> Hashtag Grey is Bay. Yes. Sean, that's uh, Dennis Hopeless, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. On the book? I, okay. I believe so, yeah. Um, and then Venom 150. 
is is releasing. So they've they've sort of taken like every single issue of Venom ever, compiled all the numbers, and magically that amounted to 150. What a coincidence! Uh, and so Eddie Brock is back and reunited with the Venom symbiote and. Uh, I don't know. Are people interested? Are you guys interested? Not, not remotely. Not. Uh, what? <laughs> why, why is that a coincidence? Well, you had you had really heavy sarcasm there, so I wasn't. You, you know, issue one fifty. Like they compiled all the numbers, and it came to one fifty. That's a real easy jump on number, you know. Yeah, it seems like a big deal. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I just like I don't. Like, yeah, sure, but it's just, like, I don't know, man. Can we just, like, fucking leave well enough alone? Like, you know, like, I feel like we, we come back to this all the fucking time, but it's just, like, like, why? Like, why do we need this? Like, Venom has evolved so far beyond Eddie Brock. Roots. Yeah, like, one of yeah. the few characters that's had a real organic evolution in yeah, comics. and, like, they're just backtracking it. And, like, that's my favorite Venom is the Eddie Brock Venom because, like, that's when Venom was interesting, in the 80s, when he was new and it was fresh and it was for one story arc, not, you know, I'm sorry. I know like, someone I, who would definitely take exception with that. Yeah, and, like, if if friend of the show Mark Bouchard's listening, sorry, not trying to put you on blast, but, like, I like Venom. I'm a Venom fan, you know, but, like, I'm over it. Like, I don't need more Eddie Brock stories. I don't need more backtracking, you know? It's, like, it's just so, like... It well, just Rick speaks to the big problem, I think, that exists in comics nowadays. Like, it's, it's just all about the status quo. And, like, let's blow up the status quo so we can restore it, you know? And nowadays, nowadays, this is, like, this is always comics. Pete, you need to read Final Crisis and Multiversity and the end of the Batman saga by Grant Morrison. It, it definitely it definitely has always been true, but I feel like it's it's worse now because it happens so on such an accelerated timeline that like Yo, i can sure. see it happening in front of me over and over and over again you know sure. it's like i'm exhausted by it it's not like oh 20 years ago there was a reboot time for another one okay no it's like i've seen marvel go through how many events where they're like all new marvel marvel now marvel, marvel. it's like who, like i don't fucking care anymore like Ooh. i don't care anymore dude Status quo nihilism is it Pete and Bessie, ladies and gentlemen. Like, I hate being that way. I don't want to be that guy. I fucking love Marvel. I love Venom. I don't want to be the guy sitting here complaining that they're bringing back Eddie Brock, but I am. Like, Cool. Eh. So that actually leads us into the news, the first news item. So, Pete, you're going to get to do that a lot more in a few minutes here. Uh, so The Atlantic uh, published an article by Asher Elbean, I believe. It's been circulating a lot lately. A lot of people have been talking about this article because it dives into – and the, the article's title is The Real Reasons for Marvel's Comics Woes. Uh, for Marvel Comics Woes, I should say. So it it, it it talks about a lot of the stuff that we have addressed on the show. That we talk about like literally every week. Right. Ad nauseum. And I, it's I, so good. <laughs> I actually didn't want to include it, but it's, it's so – it's being talked about so much that I felt like – it was worth addressing it on some level. Uh, he talks about how you know Civil War Two was critically panned, and how Marvel has been on a real downswing lately. Um, how they've only had in, in, in February they only had one superhero title that sold more than fifty thousand copies. Which, if you know numbers in comics, uh, fifty thousand is like a that's a that's a decent that's a, that's a pretty solid selling comic today. Uh, for example, The Walking Dead and Saga do 70,000 on a regular basis. Uh, 
a, no, a new number one from Marvel might do seventy nine thousand. Fifty thousand is like you're you're coasting, you know, decently. So they only had one of those in February. That's that's pretty bad. Um, Especially when you consider how many books they put out. Right. Exactly. And and this article talks a, a lot about that. Uh, how expensive it is to be a fan of Marvel comics, which is very true. I can attest to that. Uh, when they do these number one issues, they're often they jack up the price to five dollars. They'll do that, um, or they'll put out you know like for example, Secret Empires five dollars. So it, it, and then and then of course with with these relaunches, uh, the example is given uh, in twenty thirteen. There was Mighty Avengers written by Al Ewing. And Luke Cage led the Avengers. 14 issues later, Marvel relaunched it with a new number one as Captain America and the Mighty Avengers. Then they canceled it nine issues in. Then, in 2015, which at this point you're talking about just a couple of months in between cancellations and relaunches, um, Ewing started writing New Avengers and Ultimates, Ultimates, which is just the same characters basically on different teams with different names. Then... Marvel relaunched them both a year later as Ultimates 2 and U.S. Avengers. So it's there's just like it's very complicated and tough to follow this stuff. Um, he also talks about <coughs> how the creators are really the ones who drive the success of these books and not necessarily it's not necessarily due to Marvel's job as uh, Mar- Marvel's marketing making these books do well which i kind of agree with um and and yeah i, I mean, mean dude like you don't need to look any further than vision being what a big hit it was in 2015 for them to just prove that nobody gives a fuck about vision you know like like vision is a cool character don't get me wrong but like there's not like this legion of vision hardcore fans you know that he's a character that sells books and it was because tom king wrote a great story you know and it was it was handled well right a- ab- absolutely um, and I mean, he does give he does give an example of of what we're talking about here uh, of of creators really really sort of doing their part to sell these comics, and it's it's unfortunate that the creators are you know they'll spend their own money to help these books succeed and they'll do their best, and then books like Spider Man that are going to sell regardless. You know they're the ones with the machine behind them. They have the creator, the creative teams. They have you know they're on the front of the banners. You know um, they get the interview opportunities that you know some of these other writers don't necessarily get. Yeah, like you don't need to fucking promote Amazing Spider-Man. No, it's gonna sell itself. And then another example is uh, the artists that you don't have a lot of creative teams at Marvel, and DC has this problem too. Uh, but you don't have a lot of creative teams that stick together for years, you know. Right, and that's. A, this, I made that point literally last week on the show. You did, yeah. This is a new problem. This is like a very new problem at, at Marvel. And it's honestly, I think it's the it's the end of the market. Like it's going to lead to the decay of comics, like of as we know them. If you if we don't see this remedied, yeah. I I I've, I think most people who read comics that have a vested interest and have been reading for years, they tend to follow creators. That's, you know, that that's something we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you, it, there's nothing wrong with trying an artist out who might not have a name. That's great. I, I love when that happens. Yeah, you should absolutely. do that. But when I, like I read, uh, for example, um, Spider-Man, right? The Miles Morales series. And it's 
Bendis and it's um, uh, uh, Sarah Pacelli, I believe her name is. Right. Yeah, yeah you're right. I want to see them together until that book is over, right? But that doesn't happen. And since she left the title, I believe there have been two or three different artists that have like come on board at that some did. point or another. Yeah, and, and it's yeah, and like the article makes the point. It's because of the accelerated timelines and stuff too that like there's not enough time given for some of these books to to really be made. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. And it's especially when you issue. have people working on multiple books, like you know, that's a problem. Well, artists themselves can't even really do that, right? Because it takes so long to draw these titles. Like, you look at some of these artists that take months to draw a book, right? Or yeah, like, or if you're Jim Lee, years. Years, yeah. I was going to say, it's like even like, you know, you look at, um, to, you know, to pull like my favorite artist, right? Like Ryan Otley is an incredibly talented artist. And like the only book he can work on is Invincible. And that's like part of why it's ending is because like it's a full-time job to do a legit superhero book every month. You know, that has solid art throughout and, you know, two-page spreads and nine-panel layouts and, you know, like, all the kind of stuff that makes a good comic. You know, like, it takes work. It takes craftsmanship. I think a big reason why the Scott Snyder Batman run was so successful is that it was a consistent team of him and Greg Capullo. And Greg Capullo is a tremendous artist, obviously. But you had a, you had a team. And that really, I think, aided that book's popularity. Because it was Snyder and Capullo's run. Well, dude, and it's like, I think people really underestimate, like, we've made this point before, but, like, artists are, are so underappreciated. You sure. know, like, uh, artists, yeah, for are, sure. artists are directors when it comes to comics. You know, like, we love Tom King, and we sing Tom King's praises, and he's the scripter, but, you know, the, the artists are the directors. They're the ones that make it play out. And, like, not only is there the benefit of, like, when you have a creative team with a shared vision... They're working on toward that vision together, and that's going to make for a better product. But also, it's like that inconsistency. You can't have someone come on. It's like having a, a director come on in the middle of a fucking movie and trying to finish it, you know? And, like, having to have it have a natural through line, you know? But we're totally changing the directing style, and we're going to change the color palette, and we're going to change the way that all the characters look and all the costumes. And it's like, what are you fucking, like, you can't do that. You can't just pull the rug out like that for no reason. Well, imagine if they changed the artist on Watchmen halfway through. It would not be right, watching. like exactly, like Dave Gibbons is Dave Gibbons is just as important, if not more important, than Alan Moore in the craftsmanship of Watchmen and what Watchmen is. And like you can say that about so many books, like these books that we're talking about, right? The the image books that are the two best sellers, right? You know, it's like Saga, like that is just as much because of Fiona Staples' art as it is uh, Brian's words, you know? Like, she has had such an influence on that book. The visual style, some of the way that the stories played out, like, things like just creative decisions, you know? Like, the fact that their ship was a tree was because she doesn't like drawing spaceships. You know, like, that changes. That's an entire arc of the story, you know? And, like, and that it's it, to ignore that artists are just as important in the storytelling process, like ignores 50% of what makes a comic a fucking comic. That's... Yeah, I mean, can't understand that That's to say nothing of chemistry, right? Like... Yeah, dude! Like, absolutely! These books get better with time, and... Because they get to learn each other, you know? Like... And you... And, like, I... Listening to writers talk, they write to their artist's strengths, you know? And you, you... Like, Snyder and Capullo didn't even get along when they first started working together. They built yeah, chemistry right. over time. Now they're like the best of friends. 
and they're working on metal a huge reason why people are excited for metal is because they're being reunited because of the history it's them it's that exactly that's part of why we're excited for uh the the new god shit that tom king's doing is because it's him and mr uh, arts yeah right it's like you're getting the band back together you know like that's huge clock is john's and frank like these things matter to fans Mm -hmm. when morrison and quietly are put together it's more and more feeling like comics the publishing of comics is becoming a machine and it's not a labor of love anymore and that's hard for me to even say but the feeling is there when they're like this article accurately breaks down a lot of the things that cause fans to jump ship from marvel and dc because they're not all like dc to a lesser extent right now but you know whatever dc's on a real yeah. upswing like they they were not free of guilt from this for a long time but they've really been trying i think to turn the ship around lately yeah it just if well yeah don't don't give them too much credit they're still corporate comics like <laughs> oh no, no we'll question. see right no we'll see like they i think they've earned right now the opportunity for some leeway i think they've earned they've earned optimism from us yeah like they've earned the benefit of the doubt of us to think that they are trying to improve well and i think i think a good example of that is uh greg greg Rucka's, uh wonder woman because it had, that's a pretty long run like it it's had, been going for a while well but it had two artists and it was doing but it was doing two separate storylines yeah and yep. that that eventually tied into each other right they've, Sean? they've been they've been related to each other the whole time um because rucka plotted this whole deal out when he was asked to do it uh and he came up with an ingenious way to make the double shipping thing work being forced to have two artists so to me that's actually an example of dc's failure having to have two artists just to publish these books twice a month but they but they did let greg rucka do this and make it work so that's a positive but to also to to be fair, he's leaving the book because in part of the double shipping because it's too much. He can't do his other stories. Um, <clears throat> so you know pros and cons. But double edged sword, right, as they say. Marvel has no at this point at least desire to show us that they that they care about the core fan, but also that they care about comics beyond. The cash that they're gonna get and preparing storylines for the movies. right, yeah, as a place to farm ideas from. Oh God, I hate that. Like the way you said it is exactly what it is, and I've heard it described that way, but it always just boils it boils my uh, blood. Like the, the well, like a, that notion that like a comic is like a way to like I hate it. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, the notion. Something. Yeah, like it's a you, you use the word farming. Ugh. Right. Why can't I mean, I know I'm speaking figuratively, but why can't comics be comics? I mean, to be fair, like that's kind of how everything is right now. It you sucks. know, like it's it's not just comics. Like everything is a everything is trying to be a multi multimedia franchise. You know, everything wants a TV show and a movie and a video game and, or whatever. You know, like whatever it is that makes sense for it. But that's everything now. You know, anything that's moderately successful gets. As much as they can fucking, they're gonna push it as far as they can go before everyone's. That's fucking great it. because I want to experience everything in every way. But comic books can still tell good stories and try to tell good stories without the short sightedness. Civil War Two was probably the most short sighted event that I've ever 
heard of because the announcement came super late. It was announced with like months before the event actually released. And that's fine if they were working on it for years, but they weren't. They were literally working on it around the time of the announcement. That's crazy. That's insane. And they only did it because Civil War, the movie, was coming out. And it had been 10 years since the comic. If you know you're gonna like if you know that's coming up, why wouldn't you work on it for two years beforehand? That doesn't make any sense. It's or, like it's like the new fifty-two. Yeah. yeah, or like re-release Civil War, like you know, make new printings, make you know. But they they couldn't they couldn't even do that because they had fifty million tie-ins. Right, exactly, and they're so they're stretched so thin. I think ultimately for me is like I would just wish that Marvel would treat their comics with the same care they treat the MCU, the same amount of thought put into it. Yeah, they're 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 the the level of carelessness, and I I hate, it kills me to say these things because I. I, I really love Marvel, but some of these decisions are careless. Civil War Two was ill conceived, and the idea sounded nice on paper, but you can tell that they just didn't have enough time to work on this properly. I mean, it sounded nice on paper because they'd already done it. Yeah, like, uh, and and Secret Empire, in contrast, is working so well because this this is the storyline that they've been telling for like two years. So it's not a surprise that a storyline you've been working on for two years works. Well, and it's also not a rehash of something because of a timeline. You know, it's not like, oh, it's the 10th anniversary of the last time Captain America did something with Cell Cap Story. Like, you know, it's no, like, that's not how you fucking tell a good story. And like, if, if you're, if the point of, you know, it's like, Say what you will about Civil War, right? I think we all know Civil War is a little bit of a divisive book, but I think we're mostly fans of it here. Um, Civil War was great because it was trying to say something like it was, it existed to tell a story that needed, or that the authors, you know, that the, the, um, people who crafted it felt needed to be told. And Civil War two is literally just being made to be made, you know, it's being made to hopefully get, get some extra money in our pocket because there's a movie out right now and people will pick up this number one or because, Oh, it's the 10th anniversary of this thing. Let's do a sequel. You know, I um, I think Pete, if you started reading a little more DC, you'd feel a less pessimistic. I doubt. I doubt it. A little bit. I've been reading DC my whole life, and I'm. Just, I mean, here I am, as grumpy as ever. <laughs> yeah, that's never going to change, though. No, you're right. It's not. And uh, like, reading, unless you got some coffee enemas or something, re- well, or Marco's I mean, chewable enemas. I mean, I, yeah, but. Reading DC is not going to make that any better. It's still corporate comics. Well, I I hate to do this, but uh, I think we've got some more news coming down the pipe that's going to trigger Pete. And I think that's the theme oh, of this good. episode, quite frankly. Uh, because now... We're... Until we get to Wonder Woman where I can just be like, I really like these books. They were so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love DC. I can't wait. <laughs> Give me I such like... a tonal shift. I like your tonal shift. It's wonderful. Right? That was crazy. <laughs> We're going to talk about um, Edge of Venomverse, which is being written by the <laughs> lead singer of Yellow Card, Ryan Key. I think, yeah, I think uh, I, I think I could sum this news item up in a, uh, a sentence. I sure hope it 
works so that we can see Ryan Key do something else that I'll get to read. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel. Whoa, could be good. Of course, Phil, it could be good. So, can we? Um, can, hey, can no, we... you know, it's like it's 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 just weird. It's it's weird how many like lead singers from bands that I listened to when I was like thirteen uh, are writing comics now. And it's super cool. I, I really like Yellow Card. I mean, I really yeah. like one of their albums anyway. Um, a whole yeah. lot. Yeah. What wasn't wasn't one of their songs in one of the um, Sam Raimi Spider Man movies? Yeah, they yeah. did the they did the song for I think Spider Man Two. The song, oh, the song yeah. for Spider Man Two was Dashboard Confessional. Vindicated. Oh, oh my I, God! Yeah, it was Vindicated, yeah. right? They they were on the soundtrack though for sure they they, they wrote an original song for one of the movies i don't remember which one but i thought it was spider-man it too. would make sense they were popular at that time uh i do want to say that i read the interview that he did with marvel.com uh, which we will be posting and he he sounds committed he sounds like he has good ideas he clearly has read old man logan and does care for that run and that's going to be in that's going to intersect with his issue of edge of venomverse which is number four uh so he's got good ideas now he's never written a comic before so or at least not to my knowledge so i think you're right i think this is his first foray yeah so we'll see how his execution is uh but i don't care about venomverse i don't care about edge of venomverse i was a fan of yellow card like 20 years ago uh, so you know this is not this is not for me, and I I, I kind of wish they would just stop all this, you know, like like it, too many events, you know, like I love events like any like more than anybody, Whoa. but Venomverse is not a thing that comics needs, in my opinion. I'm one thousand percent in agreement with you on that one, uh, and I yeah I just like to echo Kale's sentiment that I hope this goes well so I can see him write something I actually care about. I hope he's as good as like all the other weird pop punk singers that have come out of the woodwork to write comics lately because Gerard Way's killing it. Um, what's his name? Max Bemis from uh, Say Anything just did Fool Killer last year. It's like a ton of like guys from that uh, that, that ilk period. coming out of the woodwork here. <laughs> Question didn't. Uh- wasn't there something resembling a Venomverse in Marvel like fifth, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where a bunch of symbiotes run amok? Oh, Wasn't that like a you're thing? Referring- there was a thing like that even a couple years ago. It was United States of Carnage. That was Carnage took over a bunch of people. And like, I think it was like in Kansas or something. It was like in a state that was like all carnaged out and shit. You're referring to Mighty Avengers, which uh, had a story arc in which like symbiotes came and yeah 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 so yeah that's exactly what i was thinking new back then it was just so it's happened two times in the yeah. last few years this, back then it was just a storyline in a comic book now it's an event yippee um so <laughs> uh, yeah but see they took it from it's a storyline then they had one single comic about it now they're going to do an event about it we're totally we totally haven't run out of ideas i don't know yet. why they're choosing to expand on it because it's a stupid idea anyway um but <laughs> well, like it, it was a good idea the first time, one time. Yeah. yeah, it's a good idea for a single issue of a comic. Yeah, sure. Yeah, or no, I think that's a good that's a good storyline for the Avengers, like a symbiote invasion. And yeah, no, that's a good thing. Or even but, or even just Spider Man, like yeah, like that's a that's a book I would read. Spider Man against a world of venoms. Sure. So, so now let's transition into the films a little bit. Uh, the movie that we're all super excited for has found a director. 
So, silver and black. Ah, uh, Sean! The, <laughs> the Silver, Sable, and Black Cat movie by Sony has a director. They found a way to make it less appealing by giving it that name. <laughs> it's, it's one movie? It's one movie. Yeah. Like, oh, it, well, like that, I, I guess that's better than two movies. Yeah, I guess that's better. Is it? I don't even know. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's my confliction. Like, is that better? I can't tell. Like, I still don't want it. See, tell us more, uh, Sean. Okay, yeah. So, I'm so fucking upset. It's, it's by being this. directed by a woman, which is great. Gina Prince by the wood. Uh, she's gonna direct it. Um, that's that's cool. Uh, this is the first. She's the first woman directing a Marvel-based film since Lexi Alexander directed Punisher Warzone. Uh, my question is, how do these characters even intersect without Spider-Man? They don't. None of these characters are relevant without Spider-Man. It's like, this is so... This is so dumb, <laughs> and I hate it. I like I hate this the most because, like I said, like I, I like Venom. But, like, I'm not really, like, precious about Venom. I think Venom has, like, one real good storyline. I really love Black Cat. Like, I love her as a character. I think she's, a, like, my favorite femme fatale. And, like, I think she's a great foil to Spider-Man. I think almost every storyline she's ever been a part of has been just fun. You know? Like, they have great chemistry. And, like, it fucking sucks that they're going to waste her in a movie that Spider-Man's not even in. So, I'm looking at her, 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 just her filmography as, like, a director. And, like, she's done a lot of TV. Like, she directed an episode of the Bernie Mac show. Uh, an episode of Everybody Hates Chris. Um, a couple episodes of the show Shots Fired. She's doing the first episode, it looks like, of Cloak and Dagger. Um, so she's mostly, like, a TV person. I mean, I'm not going to hold that against her, but... No, but that's interesting, I guess. She doesn't have, like, a big filmography, you know? Well, what's interesting about this is that it, you know, it'll be a movie led by two women, directed by two women, uh, directed by a woman. I don't know, man. Uh, that does actually kind of, like, I'm not pumped about the idea, but that does turn it around a little bit for me. Like, It doesn't matter. Like, the problem isn't, like, I wasn't not interested in this movie because a man was making it. I'm not interested in it because it shouldn't exist. Like, Well, yeah, but... I mean, now it's like, <laughs> if we don't, I, and this sucks to say, but like, if we don't support this, how are we going to get more female-led films? I don't even care, also, honestly. Yeah, dude, I'm not going to go see this. I don't care. Like, I'm not supporting these. I'm going to see Wonder Woman. I, I pledged to go see Wonder Woman, even if Wonder Woman sucked. So that's where I'm drawing my line in the feminist comic reader's sand. Like, I'm not going to go see a fucking Black Cat Silver Sable movie. I've, I've said this the last episode or two but like i really rigidly don't care about the continuity with the comics or how they weave with other characters um if they can tell an interesting story and make it a good movie like independent of that i don't care like i'll see it it just doesn't make sense though like it's (laughs) it could it doesn't it doesn't have to relate to it like i mean it could be independent I know it isn't in the comics. But then, like, that's a perversion of the characters, man. It's like, what is even the point of using their names? Like, 
You know, it's like Black Cat's entire fucking story is literally, it's all about, like, she's a cat burglar who meets Spider-Man, and they have this weird romantic tension, and then that turns her into, like, a anti-hero kind of character. Like, her entire arc as a character is based on her relationship with Spider-Man. You're pigeonholing her, though. You're limiting her. You're making her just a foil to another character. But that's, maybe what, this movie, that's what she is! But maybe this movie could do something more significant. I guess, but, like, then that's not Black Cat. It could like Black be. Cat has one, two stories ever that are not involved with Spider-Man. Yeah, but she had a miniseries a... with Sabretooth or some shit, and then she was in Heroes for Hire. Yeah, but that's the point, though. Like, this could be something new. This is this is you talk about going back to status quo, and this could be something imaginative and fresh. It doesn't but then, have like, to be. But it's not the character I like. So like, yeah, that's, that's exactly not... what this is. This is not my. This is not my version of this, and that's where all the whole issue comes from. Yeah, but no, because it's not the same thing. Like that's that's different when there's a character that has multiple interpretations. This is one character that's been consistently written since she was introduced, and now you're going to change what is her def- like. She is a Spider-Man character. That's like saying, oh, it could be good to see a movie about fucking Mary Jane without Spider-Man. It's like cool. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Sure, but that's a movie about a fucking model not a person who is a, like yeah yeah but that that's that that'd be unique that'd be fresh right, okay okay so i think phil yes the movie could be good you know obviously anything could be right we've established that over uh the many months we've been doing the show <laughs> you uh but you know i think pete's reservations are well said and also reasonable in that you know, this is a character that we know and love, and you want to see them portrayed reasonably as the character that you're familiar with in the comics. Now, maybe there's a way that they pull that off. We haven't seen this. We haven't seen Venom. We don't know what they're thinking. We definitely don't know what they're thinking. Uh, but it, 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 it remains to be seen. So it, this news, I don't know. Maybe Pete will like this. So we've got we've got some. I wanted to talk about Wonder Woman. <laughs> we've got some New Mutants news. So, you know, we've, we've talked about New Mutants. We're kind of optimistic about it. Now we know that it's going to be a horror movie, which is interesting. Uh, and that's coming from the director himself, Josh Boone. Um, that it's not going to have a traditional villain. They're not going to be capes and tights. It's not, it's not that kind of film. Uh, he's pulling inspiration from... Stephen King and John Hughes, uh, he, he describes it as a surreal and impressionistic X-Men series. Um, he's, he says, we love that Fox wants to make all these different X-Men spinoffs as drastically different as they can. So that's really interesting. But in addition, we know that joining the cast are my, is my favorite actress right now, I think, Rosario Dawson. Oh, she's Yo, yeah. and okay. she's gonna be playing That's cool. Cecilia Reyes, who's kind of like, um, kind of like Professor X for that team, and then also Henry Zaga, who played Brad in Netflix's Thirteen Reasons Why. He's gonna be playing Sunspot. Sunspot. So some some decent news. I'm not sure about the horror element, but I like the casting. See, like I was really into it when he said horror and that, but then it was like it's not capes and tights and it's impressionistic and surreal. It's like that sounds uh, awesome to me. No, that's, it see, sounds that's awesome. the shit I want. That's going to be like, that's going to be it follows set in the X-Men universe like Oh, that sounds fucking great. No, it doesn't fail. Get the fuck I, out of here. I love Claremont's new uh, new mutants run. It's terrific, but like leave like I want I want 
fresh shit on the screen. If this is surrealistic, if this is surreal and impressionistic, and it's kind of got horror elements, and it's like that, this all sounds good to me. And the cast sounds good. I'm not. I'm not against any of that. I'm just afraid of something that's going to come off as a little self indulgent. Like that's like some of those are very like. Like hearing someone talking about their own work and being like it's impressionistic and su- it's like okay that's fair that's fair like I'm not again I'm not I, I, this doesn't turn me off this movie's but... gonna be too good for capes and tight well, he uh, was he was also don't even worry about how childish it's gonna be because it's not gonna have capes and tights uh, capes and tights are for children this is a horror movie for adults. Uh, what do you call this character? That's Brian Singer. Oh, ha ha. Uh, he's 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 referring to and pulling inspiration from a a particular run on uh, New Mutants by Bill Sink Sinkowitz, which I think is the Sinkowitz. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he's saying that that run is inspiring him. That run was those things, and he's going towards that. So. You know, that's okay, I guess, but we'll see. I don't know if the horror element really works, but you do have characters like Wolfsbane, so maybe it does. I don't know, but I don't know if I care about another X-Men movie where they're straying away from, like, what the X-Men are. Like, I hated that first class, seemed to, like, hate the fact that it was an and it was a superhero movie. I really that really bothered I love me. Love that movie. Yeah, I get it's good, but it just bothered me that it didn't seem to want to be a superhero movie. And I feel that's a problem with like a lot of the X Men yes. movies. They feel embarrassed by their source material, you know. Yeah. And that's that's the thing I don't want. I I the horror stuff that all sounds good. It's just a matter of like, is this going to feel like an X Men movie? Or are you going to take X Men characters and put them into, you know? A horror setting, like I don't know. We'll we'll have to see. I, I'm optimistic about it, but this statement stokes my interest, but also makes me very cautious in a way I wasn't before. If it's like quality, if it's quality level, like first class, I'm I'm in the driver's seat, baby. Give me the give me the green light. God, I want to give you the red light so bad. Uh, <laughs> so this you don't have to put on the This next piece of news is nothing to be. Uh, laughing about or excited about. Unfortunately, Zack Snyder has chosen to step down from Justice League to deal with an unbelievable tragedy in his family. Uh, His daughter committed suicide uh, in March. She was 20 years old. Uh, They've really tried to keep it private and, you know, not really talk about what's happened. Um, the movie went on break for two weeks so that he could have the opportunity to do this uh, or to, to deal with this and, you know, be there for his family. Uh, here, here's a quote directly from him. In my mind, I thought it was a cathartic thing to go back to work to just bury myself and see if that was the way through it. The demands of this job are pretty intense. It is all consuming. And in the last two months, I've come to the realization I've decided to take a step back from the movie to be with my family be with my kids who really need me. They are all having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. So he's obviously broken by this, and any parent would be. And I think it's totally reasonable and responsible for him to make this choice because we're just talking about a movie right now. But now that he is sort of stepping back, uh, Joss Whedon is stepping in to 
finish the movie. Just, I mean, the movie's shot already, but uh, do some like post production work and stuff like that. A couple extra scenes. They said like he's doing a little bit of work on it. Oh, and he's gonna he's gonna uh, help in the editing process. As so well. yeah, so Snyder wanted it. He's kind of taking it home, you know. Snyder got it to third base, and now he's gonna kind of get it the rest. Snyder of the wanted to shoot additional scenes and obviously have someone write them, so he brought uh, Joss Whedon on board. This took place before he even left the project. We didn't know about it, but this this did happen. Uh, so and uh. I know Warner Brothers also gave him the opportunity to push the film back. Like, they're like, take as much time as you need or whatever. And he was like, no, like, let's just let Joss finish it. So this was directly Zack Snyder's decision. Yeah. So I, the only thing that I do want to say before we, uh, like, address this, before we all address this, is one, this is terrible. And obviously our hearts and thoughts go out to his family. But also the reaction that some people have had to this news is disgusting. Say what you will about Zack Snyder. We have talked about... I've said a lot about the guy. I call him Hack Snyder, and like, Jesus Christ, We have said a lot of negative things about him on this show, and a lot of people have wherever they communicate. But people are celebrating that he is leaving the project because Joss Whedon is coming, and they think that he's going to quote-unquote save the movie. This is insane, and it's very misguided. The man's child died. The man's child died. Like, there are bigger things than a superhero movie. That, yeah, that is not relevant right now. And Joss Whedon coming on board is not something to celebrate because this guy is, like, in pain right now. His family's in pain right now. That's the focus of this. Joss Whedon coming on board, that, that's an afterthought, I would imagine. Or it should be. It should be, yeah. If you're if you're not a fucking asshole, like, so go ahead. Oh man, that's like it, dude. Like, it's a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy. You know, it's like I'm not a fan of the guy, but like I feel for him. Like, this is no one should have to deal with this. Like, this is the worst thing that could happen to a parent. You know, and I I respect him for trying to finish the project. Um, but you know, like my condolences. It's- it's terrible. Like, there's no other way of putting it. Like, losing a losing a family member, especially that young, I can't even, I can't imagine it. Um, and so people who are whose heads are so far up their asses to make this about entertainment and like their how it impacts them. Fuck off. Like royally, fuck off. That's all I gotta say. And like, I, let let me temper that. I guess. If you are one of those people, like, look inward, man. Because, like, I don't think you're a bad person. I understand you're, you know, I I saw headlines that didn't include the personal tragedy element. And I remember having that reaction of, like, yay, I love Joss Whedon. I don't like Zack Snyder. Like, fine. But, like, be a human being right now and realize that, like, there are bigger things at play here than the Justice League movie. I'd also like to point out that... People are saying that Joss Whedon is saving a movie they haven't even seen. So you right. have no idea what this movie's going to be like. It could be the greatest thing ever. You don't know. You just hate Zack Snyder. So you hear this news and you have this crazy reaction. And it's like, listen, this is the kind of thing that I have talked about on this show before. And we've all talked about where it's like, as a fan, you need to realize that 
This is just entertainment. And there's no reason to celebrate the death of someone, to wish a death upon someone, uh, to threaten someone with death. All these things are excessive. We're talking about entertainment. These are people who provide entertainment for us. If you don't like what Zack Snyder does, that's fine. But he's trying to provide entertainment for you. And you're happy that his daughter died so that Joss Whedon can make a movie? I'd also like to say, and like, take this with a grain of salt, right? Or walk with me here. Like, do, do you really think that the characters that these movies are about would be happy that you are celebrating the suicide of a young woman? Do you think Superman would think that that was the right thing to do? Do you think Batman would think that's the right thing to do? I don't think so. So, what, like, if, if you really, really love superheroes so much, if you really love comics so much, why don't you, why don't you learn something from what you're reading and take a page out of these people that you, out of these characters, these fictional characters that you supposedly admire so much? Why don't you, you know, try acting a little bit more graceful? Well said. I think we leave it there. Moving on, Justice League Dark also did lose its director, uh, Doug Lehman, who was working on this film, um, Justice League Dark, which has been, they've been making this movie for, I feel like, forever. It's been in, it's been in gestation for, like, since, like, 2011 or something. Yeah, As I like, say, development hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, ever since Guillermo del Toro has been unattached to it, I've been, I I'm unattached care. as well, yes. Out. Yeah, right, exactly. I, that I was a movie love. that I only gave a shit about because Guillermo del Toro was the one who was making yeah. it happen. So he left this to, to work on a film called Chaos Walking, which actually uh, Tom Holland is attached to. Um, oh, yeah. that's cool. Who's that? Tom Holland. Shut up. <laughs> oh, and Daisy. Spider-Man, you nerd. And Daisy Ridley as well, which is really <laughs> cool. So. Oh, wow. What? Right. Yeah. Now you have so my So maybe attention. that's the movie we should be talking about, but... Uh, he he actually left Gambit to direct this, which is which is interesting, and is replacing Del Toro, who left the project in 2015. So this this movie, like, is it gonna get made? I don't I don't think this movie. I mean, not that it never gets made, but like, there the only reason it was getting made was because of Guillermo del Toro, because Guillermo del Toro is a name among nerds. Pacific Rim was, like, a, a recent international success at that point. Like, he has cachet. And that was the only reason anyone cared about this movie. You know, like, the the characters that make up this team, if they're still the same characters that they originally pitched it with, are not, they're not names. You know, like, they're not, like, characters that, like, DC right now is not trying to bring up their C-listers and make them popular. You know, like Marvel did with the Guardians. They're banking on things that are known quantities and of the dark avengers you know constantine had a tv show that wasn't successful and swamp thing is something that marco like comic book fans care about and not even really yeah marco and a handful of other diehards like swamp thing has his fans but swamp thing's not fucking superman or batgirl you know uh so at at this point no i kind of agree i don't think this movie gets made i like these characters i was really in, i was very invested when Guillermo del Toro was attached. It's a um, cool lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's a good ensemble. I think you can tell a really meaningful story. Um, the fact that it's in development hell like this doesn't lead me with a lot of optimism, honestly. It's usually a kind of a, 
um, not a, a positive sign. I mean, this this project started out as a passion project for Guillermo. Uh, the Warner Brothers executives were like, you know, this is a pretty good idea. Let's go forward with it. But it lost the visionary that had the idea, and it can't. I can't imagine it being salvaged into something that's good. I mean, it's very possible, obviously, but. The, the 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 way the cards are on the table don't point to a uh, optimistic direction. Yeah, I think at this point it's just like, what is their impetus to make this movie? You know, the director was the name; it was a passion project. He's gone. Who's gonna go see this movie anyway? You know, like I would, but I mean, I would, yeah, but I, I don't know. I I I I mean, so the, the, that goes to the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. People are like, who the fuck is gonna see Guardians of the Galaxy? But Marvel was in a position to do that, you know, and DC's not. And that's my thing is like DC's in a downward slope. But with a name like Del Toro, they could have been. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That And now I don't, I don't think so. Well, we shall see right now that movie needs a director stats. Uh, so I'm on it. <laughs> as much as that movie needs a director, uh, Matt Reeves, Matt Reeves, Batman movie needs a Batman. Because apparently Ben Affleck might not play Batman in this new film. Called it. You actually did. You did. Sure so, did. So uh, the DCEU producer, Charles Rover, who's been involved in like a metric ton of their films, uh, he recently did an interview. He recently did an interview where he implied on some level that Ben Affleck might not be involved. So I'll read the quote. I mean, I'm not really involved with the Batman, but from everything, we have a cursory involvement because that character is going to touch us some way. If Ben plays that character, it's going to touch some part of what we are doing. But I have no feeling whatsoever, except positive, that Matt loves Ben and the work he has done as Batman, and Ben thinks that Matt is a really terrific filmmaker. I have every expectation that they are going to make a movie together. Now, when I first read this, my thought was this is an exaggeration uh the writer of this article is taking a quote and blowing it up to make it seem like yeah presenting it out of context or whatever i read it a few times to make sure that that was how i felt and after i read it a few times that wasn't how i felt because charles rovin is not a nobody he's a big wig over there he's produced a ton of their films he wouldn't know and he is saying he's using very particular language exactly. too. This is a guy who knows the routine. If if Ben plays Batman, right. I am confident they will make him. What do you mean you're confident they're going to make a movie together? I thought we thought it was happening. Right. It's almost as if he's implying that Matt and Ben have to work out whether or not Ben is going to be in the movie. Almost as if Matt may have to choose for Ben to be in it, and Ben has to choose to want to do it. It doesn't seem set in stone right now, which is crazy for a movie that already lost its director in Ben Affleck and is coming out in a year. No, it isn't. It's not coming out in a year, but if it if it does, oh boy, it'll be a fucking train wreck. Batfleck watch. It's been a while, guys, since we've uh, had our finger on the pulse of Batfleck watch. Guys, how how great would it be if there was if there was actually a Batman movie worse than Batman and Robin? Oh, see, that movie's bad in a way that, like, it's fun to watch still. This might be bad in an lecture kind of way. Like, in a, yeah, just like a not even... 
You can't even make memes about it bad. Like $5 DVD bin at Walmart bad. Right. Like you, you can at least watch Batman and Robin and it's like you laugh because it's campy. Like the Mr. Freeze Arnold Schwarzenegger shit. Like I'll still get a kick out of that. But yeah, it, it could be like just unwatchably bad. It's going to be the Fantastic Four, the new Fantastic Four of Batman movies if it gets made. They recently said that, I mean, this was a, a few months ago now, but that there might even be a full a page one rewrite of this thing. So we lost the director. They rewrote it. We don't even know if Deathstroke's going to be in it. And now, They rewrote it like twice, too. Yeah, and now Ben Affleck might not play Batman. So what is this movie? You know, like, I don't understand. It's about Batman, Sean. Uh, oh, yeah. Great. We need, we need more of those. Like, I need a hole in the head. Oh, no, boy. no. Actually... I mean- I don't feel that way. I mean, the way the way the way it sounds, you might need an extra hole in your head. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, I could use an extra mucus strain this week. That'd be nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for those of you who don't know, I'm having a coughing fit on the side. But uh, Marco's <sighs> such a good editor. Hopefully, you don't know. Yeah. Hopefully, this movie somehow ends up being good because, contrary to what I just said, which was just a joke, I really do want more great a hole in the head. No. I really do want more great Batman films, and I would love for this to be that, but my hopes right now are at the bottom of the Batcave. So I just hope that they just push it back. Yeah. Just push it back. Just push it back to 2020. Just just give it time. Do it right. Uh, so here's an interesting story. The Alamo Draft House has launched a... Women-only screening of Wonder Woman for June 6th. And some people, some, I mean, some men. So, some some penis-having people. Yeah. <laughs> are extremely mad about this. <laughs> and I just want to hear what you guys have to say about them. Yeah, why didn't they have a fedora screening? They're big babies. Uh, you know, it's just childish. Grow up. My favorite, my favorite tweet about this was... Uh, at the Alamo should do a a, a men's only screening of uh, Magic Mike XXL or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Like for me, man, it's like this is just like it's a non-issue. Like it's it's a non-issue. You're turning into an issue. It's a charity event. All the proceeds are going to women's charities. It's one night. Um, it's not like it's the only showing of. It's not one night. Now they've done. Oh, they now they're doing it. it. Now they're doing it all across the country, and they're putting on multiple showings. Oh, that's because cool. of all these awesome. men rights douchebags. All the neckbeards out there. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, it's uh, it's a charity event, man. You know, it's like this is like this is no different than like a women's luncheon or some shit like that. And it's not like there aren't men only events in the world. You know, like people huh. are like, oh, like if they if this was a men's only event, people would flip out. And it's like. Well, yeah, if there was a men's only screening of Wonder Woman, that wouldn't really make a lot of sense. But, um, you know, no one would bat an eyelash if we had, like, a men's only showing of, like, Die Hard or some shit. You know, like, it's it's fine. It's really okay. Hey, hey, bro. Hey, 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 bro. You don't even like Wonder Woman. <laughs> like, what are you doing? It's like, I don't know, dude. Just like, all of these showings are not, they're not the only showing that day. So it's like it's not like you're like you're being told you can't go to any screening of Wonder Woman this day. It's like you can't go to this one screening because it's a special event. Just get over it. So yeah, when's the fedora screening? 
Yeah, no, we heard that joke the first time, Phil. I have to say it again. It wasn't it wasn't that good the first time. It definitely oh lost my luster the God, second time. It's a classic. I it's I, impressionistic. <laughs> <laughs> it's surreal and impressionistic. It's not just capes and tights, you guys. And I, I mean I think I think you see it a lot where it's like there are a lot of nerds, you know, who wanna keep nerddom and geekdom a boys club. You know, they're mad that it's uh, that it's becoming more inclusive or whatever. You know, they're mad that it isn't what it used to be, that it used to be this community of outcasts and it was more underground and it was this and that. And it's, you know, it's changing, you know, and like you got to evolve with it or don't. But I think the fact that you have like you're never going to have a reasonable discourse with a man who says that you're ruining his childhood because the new Ghostbusters movie stars women without even seeing it. It's sexist. It's what it is. You know, like you're going to say that like the existence of women in your space is, is ruining it. You're a bigot and maybe you can change that person's mind, but you know, it's also not our job to do that. It's not women's job to put up with them and try to change their minds. And I think, I guess that's where the responsibility comes on other people within the community where it's like, we need to call that shit out when we see it, but I, you know, it's like talking to a brick wall sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so I guess that's a that's a good place to leave it. Uh, it's it's an interesting turn, and I was afraid that I don't want to continue this conversation. I just want to say that I really, really, really want to see this movie succeed, and we need like men have to go see it too in order for it to succeed. And I don't want people who may have gone to see it otherwise to not go because of some stupid thing like this. Just let it go. It's not a big deal. Let women have their day. There's nothing wrong with that at all. This is a celebration for everyone who's a fan of this character, man or woman, and just leave it at that. So we're going to continue to talk about Wonder Woman. Uh, This is like Wonder Woman month, if you will, just because we've got the movie coming out, which is so exciting, and uh, the character's been on our minds a lot lately. So we figured it'd be a great opportunity for us to talk about Wonder Woman, but also talk about some of the most uh, important Wonder Woman comics that have ever come out. And so we're going to do that this week. Next week, we'll be uh, reviewing the film. And then the week after that, we're going to talk more about some Wonder Woman comics. So this week, we're going to talk about uh, Grant Morrison's Wonder Woman Earth 1, which you know we're all big fans of. And then we're also going to talk about a storyline from Gail Simone's run on Wonder Woman, which was The Circle. Uh, it was actually her first uh, first thing she did for Wonder Woman. Yeah. So uh, let's just dive right in. I, I do want to preface this by by kind of addressing, and I want, us, I want this to be a theme throughout the conversation, is what does Wonder Woman stand for? Who is she? Who is important to her? Uh, does she kill? Will she kill and why? And... What separates her from the the other people in the Trinity, so Batman and Superman? What makes her different and unique, other than the fact that she's a woman, which is just obvious? I'd also like to preface this conversation with we will be doing full spoilers for both of these books. So if you are not familiar with uh, Year One, or Earth One rather, Wonder Woman and uh, The Circle, you don't want to have them spoiled for you. Now would probably be a good time to tag out. Yeah, for sure. Um, so... Or stick around and then hear our conversation and go buy them after. Because yeah, because like they're definitely worth reading. There's not like any spoilers or anything that like will make it so you can't enjoy the book. They're good because of their craft, not because of 
any like reveal or anything like that. And they're super affordable too. Yeah, they're both they're both. I mean, like uh, Earth One just came out, but it's like it's a single graphic novel. Yeah. So so um, to start, one of the things that I've noticed in a lot of Wonder Woman books is that a lot of writers because there's not. Well, there's not a movie, right? And there's not, I guess, like that definitive run of the character. Even though a number of great creators have graced the comic book, there isn't that definitive sort of Wonder Woman identity, if Man, you will. I, I don't remember what episode it was that this first came up, but I remember I said that and you and Phil like wanted to fucking string me up by my legs for saying that there wasn't a definitive Wonder Woman run. There, it, the, Well, there's not, but... There's, there's a lot, a lot of, of really, great, really great ones. Yeah, sure, with, no question. Yeah, that that was I think that was the point that Phil and I were making at the time. Um, no, I remember. <laughs> oh boy! Now I have now I have to go back and listen. Um, but that being said, though, a lot of times writers try to sort of redo her origin or add to her origin um, things that I guess they feel like will enhance the story. And so I do want to start. With Grant Morrison's Earth One, because it is because it is the most, it's the second most recent reinterpretation of her origin. The most recent is Greg Rucka's run, which we'll talk about uh, next time. Two episodes. Sorry, two episodes from now. Right? Yes. Uh, so Grant Morrison's Earth One doesn't actually take place in the sort of canon of DC. It's kind of like a you know an Elseworlds tale, if you will. Uh, but it's really, really good. Grant, Morrison. I was so blown away by it. Go ahead, talk about it. I mean, oh man, like this—that was the first Wonder Woman story I've ever read. Wow, you know where Wonder Woman was the lead character, and I was—that's totally, a good one to start, buddy. Wow, like what a book, man. Um, I, I was particularly impressed by the art. Um, I, I made some notes here. I think Yannick Paquette is his name. He's from Quebec. Yeah, yeah. Yannick Paquette is the artist. Um, I, I, if somebody could look up the colorist real quick, I want to give particular shout out to them as well. Oh yeah, it's real special. Nathan Nathan Fairburn. Thank you, thank you. Uh, the thing that stood out to me most artistically, aside from the fact that it's just gorgeous, like Paquette's art is just awesome. Like I love the way he draws Diana. Um. I just think it, it has a, a really great – it's exactly what I like in comics. It's that like like realistic kind of quality but without losing the bombasticness of it. Um, but what I was really blown away by was the way that they used panels. You oh, know? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Like the fact that there's like W-shaped panels you know, sometimes and stuff like that. Like just such creative use of the page. Uh, how every time – so for those of you who don't know, the framing of the story is that Wonder Woman is um, – On trial. On trial, yeah, at, at Themyscira, her her mother, uh, how do you say it? Hippo- Hi- Hippolyta. Hippolyta. Oh wow! Never knew how to pronounce that. Yeah, me neither. Um, she is, you know, residing over this trial, and it's because Wonder Woman has, um, you know, broken their law and gone to man's world, as well as a few other things that I will probably get into later. But um, so what I liked was that whenever you break from the trial and show these moments of defiance or the the definitive moments that led her to become Wonder Woman, the page layout changes a little bit and there's always these creative borders. Like the first time you see her don the the Hercules, um, the lion head that her mother had as a trophy, 
uh, and run through the woods and she has this smile on her face and she's enjoying herself. The border changes from your straight white borders to the, um, you know, the, the stars and the blue, you know, like from her, from her costume. And then later when it's showing her connection with Steve Trevor, like you have the lasso and stuff like that. And I, I just thought there was a lot of like really subtle things like that, that made the, the, the flow of the story really interesting and not just by the books. Um, what's interesting about Morrison's uh, methodology is that he actually illustrates his books before he writes them. So, like, he'll create the comic himself, like, from scratch, do the, like, draw it and, like, panel it, and then he'll interpret what he drew and send that to the artist. Huh. Yeah, and he never sends, like, he's got folders upon folders of comics that will never be released that he drew because he never sends them to anyone because he interprets what he drew for the artist because he doesn't want to tell them exactly how to do it. Wow. That's so he like doubles style. his workload. Well, I mean, the work speaks for itself. Yeah. So the background in this book, um, there's like a few aspects. He wanted to do a story where um, he said that in life, it seems like women are always kind of on trial for everything. And that's what this story is. Diana Prince is on trial for like all of womanhood. Um which is where Steve Trevor comes in on the island. And uh, the other thing is that he said that people can connect with Batman and Superman more organically because, you know, Batman's parents are dead and people can relate to, like, his, his grief. Um, you know, Superman's planet blew up and he was raised by really earnest parents. Like, that's an everyman thing. But, like, traditionally, Wonder Woman's made from clay and she's a goddess. And there's, like, a big disconnect for a lot of people for that. And so, like, he really wanted to focus on the, like, birth aspect of it. Um, he talks about how Themyscira is so far removed from having men on the island, but there's, like, the still the remnants of, like, the car the, the primal carnage of, like, what it means to be a man there, because, like, there's a lot of phallic imagery on the island and stuff. Um, so, like, the context that went into this, I think, is super unique. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, also considering the fact that, like, and this is something that Grant always does, but he he'll pull from the whole history of the character in order to tell right. his stories. This story has in this one. Go ahead. In this one, the big pull is William Marston, right? Exactly. Um, the creator of Wonder Woman, who also invented the lie detector, and like he wanted to like in those early stories, it's very sort of stag party and, and bondage oriented and uh, that kind of reflects his lifestyle because he was like involved in a very untraditional menage a trois like the younger woman in that three way relationship was what the model of Wonder Woman was based on originally um, and a lot of those elements got lost especially in the 50s as comics got a little more you know like that stuff was already fairly um, risque and in the 50s, that stuff was really frowned upon, especially with right. the comics code. So that's well, a yeah, lot of like Wonder Woman was one of the big impetuses behind that. Was that like, oh, she promotes lesbianism and alternative lifestyles and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And her book never sold as well after William Marston left it in the early 40s. And like, that's always been a problem for Wonder Woman is like, how do you, what's the formula to make her work? And that was like Grant's idea is like, well, let's take her back to like her roots. Right. And, and, and the bondage imagery is all over this book. It's so prevalent, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I appreciated that having never read any of the original Wonder Woman comic books. So 
those things that inf- so influenced the character and I had always known about were never present in the books. Like right. the way the lasso was used. I love the way the lasso was used, how, th- how they used it um, as a, I mean, a, tr- a, a, a lie detector, essentially. Like the, the, the lasso of truth is a lie detector. You cannot lie when you're under it and how they use it to force the people who um, are speaking during the trial to, to tell the truth. I really appreciated that and how uh, Paquette used, like in his paneling, sometimes the the lasso was weaved through it. I really appreciated that as well. That was so good. Yeah, and then yeah. again later um, when I think it was Medusa, but it was a Gorgon shows up and there's like the scales on the page and everything, like bleeding into it and everything. It's like it's little things, but they really, they make you like, I don't know, they draw you in. Yeah, and you and we talked about this earlier, but creative teams and how they work. Yannick took a long time to put this book together from a from an illustration perspective. Um, like there was a lot of care and love and craft went into this, and it shows. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's let's talk about the story a bit because I love how it, I love how it starts. Right, it starts with um, Wonder Woman's mother, Hippolyta. You said Hippolyta. Hippolyta. Uh, sort of under attack by Hercules, right? And he's wearing... I mean, not even under attack. Like, she's in chains. Like, she's lost. Right, yeah. Um, and they're all they're all in chains. They're all, they're yeah. all bound. Uh, the Amazons have been enslaved. Right. And he's wearing this lion on his head, and it's, it's, so, it's so ridiculous and very... The hyper-masculinity of men. Exactly. Very Grant Morrison-y, if you will. And I just love the way that She's able to draw strength from her goddess and rise above this and then free the women. And like, it's just such a moment of celebration. And in that instance, you get a real feel for what Themyscira is about. Uh, But what's interesting is that they were all bound. And that bondage kind of is like the thing that they carry over with them into yeah it becomes a part of their culture yeah exactly i thought that was really interesting and i wonder like why grant made that choice but i really did love that whole sequence uh and i loved how wonder woman she she wears that that lion's head when she's when they're playing parties yeah i love that i thought that was brilliant one thing uh grant said is that with the absence of man on themiscara their civilization stagnated to an extent because they've already reached perfection but there's no constant like wrestling of 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 like the genders and like they're just perpetual like give and take and turmoil so like there's no everything them yeah it's it's everything's the same as it was when you fast forward through time since like the ancient greek times that's what that's how grant put it kale do you have anything you want to add I like uh, I agree uh, on everything you said about uh, the art. Um, Yannick Paquette is incredible. I've seen him once or twice in other books, and uh, yeah, the art is yeah. He did amazing. the Scott Snyder Swamp thing. Oh yeah, that's right. I've never I haven't read that, um, but uh, His yeah, stuff is I've, next seen, level. I've seen him. I've seen yeah, it's amazing. Uh, this story didn't do it for me. Really, um, I like for me like. I, and I, it may be these Earth One books. Uh, I just, I, I'm not into it. Um, I th- and I think it's sort of the the issue I, I kind of have with like uh, most like like st- 
superhero origin movies. It's just like, I've seen it. I know it. I know other people need to know it. But well, this was like a new take on it, though. Sort of. That was, that was kind of the whole point of it, was that it was like a reimagining of Wonder Woman's origin. I mean, kind of. Kind of. And the imagery in it is great. You know, I really enjoyed, like, the explanation of, like, the invisible plane. Uh, but, I mean, you know, the the Wonder Woman discourse of, oh, she's not actually made from clay. She's made from, uh, she's actually the daughter of Zeus or the daughter of Hercules or the daughter of Ares. It's been done before. I just, like, and, and I appreciate, you know, that Morrison was trying. I appreciate what he did with the bondage stuff. Uh, I think that's a, a really interesting thing that, you know, hasn't been explored, but it just wasn't. They are doing a volume two, uh, those two, Morrison and Parker. So yeah, maybe, that maybe that'll absolutely. be more your speed. And Yeah, I hope so. Um because unlike the circle, which we're about to talk about, like I, I did, I, I did like that. Um, I, I just why. like this, this. Uh, for me, this is a, a weaker Morrison title. I'm so surprised to hear that. Honestly, I was, I was really blown away by it. But I also don't, I don't have any history with the character, you know. So like, I think it was a really good jumping on point for me as someone who doesn't really have a and, relationship yeah. to Wonder Woman. And that's yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think it is a great jumping on point, but like, and I I think I think uh, you know Sean might might feel the same way about this. I just I didn't need to jump on. Mm, I hear that. I don't. I was just so enraptured by it, man. You know, it's like the story itself. I thought was great. Um, I mean, the art alone was enough for me to be interested in it, just because I thought it was so well done. Um, but the story itself, I just thought it was really well executed like i felt like i got a really good sense of like who diana is and what her values are and you know what the culture of themiscira is like it was like i got just enough of everything to be like i want more of this i'm really interested in this and it's fine if this is all i ever get but i would be so down to do more so you know when i read this i read this when it came out which i believe was uh a little Last over year, a year ago two years yeah. ago yeah and I, at that point, hadn't really read anything Wonder Woman. Like, I'd seen her in other books, but I hadn't I hadn't gone towards reading anything solo Wonder Woman at that point. Right. But because I'm a year removed from that, and I've read so much Wonder Woman since then, I can't really talk about the new reader experience. That's why you, having read this just now, Pete, is so valuable. And yeah, I read it last night. I want to ask you, um, with no Wonder Woman experience before... You mentioned you got an idea of her values. What is Wonder Woman's value system to you based on this book? Okay, because I want to say like I think we're going to have a conversation about that later. I don't think Wonder Woman's value system is well-defined, and I made that argument with Phil off mic yesterday. Um, so I'd love to talk about that more. But um, I don't know. I mean I got the feeling that what I liked about the Earth One interpretation was I really understood the relationship between her and her mother. You know, that, like, she wants to be her own person and that she was created with a future for her. And I think that speaks to uh, what Phil was saying that Grant was trying to accomplish with this book about women. That I think that women are generally treated that way. You know, that they're born to be something. You know, to be wives or mothers or whatever it is. Like, it's... They have so much pushed on them. 
of what they're supposed to be and who they're supposed to be and what their role is supposed to be. And I I love that Diana challenged that, you know, that she she wanted more for herself. She wanted to be her own person. She wanted to learn the horrors of man's world on her own terms, not, you know, just be kept this, like, to borrow from her own dialogue, this perpetual princess in her mother's paradise, you know? Um, and I, I respected that. I resonated with that. And I think seeing her, you know, have to come to the man's world and, like, have to struggle with that dichotomy of, you know, like, coming back to, to Themyscira and having all of them criticize her for having makeup on her face and stuff like that. Like, that felt like a very modern feminist issue to me, right? That, like, there's, like, Wonder Woman putting makeup on doesn't make her less of a woman or less of a feminist or more of a woman or, you know, whatever. Like, it's feminism is about being your own person, you know? It's about not having your gender have to define you and letting your gender, like, mean for you whatever you want it to mean. And I think, like, that's awesome, you know? Like, and maybe that doesn't speak to what wonder woman's core values are as a character in terms of like does she kill does she not kill does she this does she that but i think it spoke to what i think she's supposed to represent as like a feminist icon and i've never really totally i've read things that told me that she was that i've never felt that before and i felt that reading this that's a really great point and i think that that's probably i think that's probably what grant's goal was with this story more than getting into all that other stuff because there is no Batman here. There's no Superman, you know? This is just her story and, and her origin yeah, there's no men story. for her to bounce off of. Except Steve, but she doesn't even speak English, you know? And Steve is, like, barely even a character, and that's good. You know, like, shit, uh, what's her name? Um, Candy. Etta Candy. Beth. Yeah. Well, no, uh, Beth. Um, Candy. Beth is, that's her name? Her name is Beth Candy, but her nickname is Oh, Beth. okay, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, the, okay, yeah, because I know she's, like, Wonder Woman's roommate, or something in the real comics, right? They have a long storied relationship. Okay. She's like her best human yeah, friend. Yeah. She's like her Jimmy Olsen or whatever. Yeah. I thought it was really cool how they utilized her as well to like, you know, like she had that one line where she said like, poor Steve, Steve Trevor was just an excuse for her to leave this place. You know? And it's like, and it's like, I like that from what I understood Steve Trevor was always kind of that, like, catalyst point for her leaving Themyscira because she falls in love with him and whatever and all this shit. And I like that they made it not about him, that he was just an excuse for her to explore what were clearly already feelings of not being satisfied, you know, of a feeling that there was more for her. I'm glad you were able to extrapolate all that from my book. Thanks, Grant. Thanks, bad Grant. <laughs> so, unless we've got more to say about... Um, earth one i'd like to move into the circle because i really think there's a lot of great overlap between these books that that makes it easy to have a full conversation where we've talked about them both sure uh i do just have one question that i don't know i could be reading into a little bit is this question uh, addressed to me no not remotely um what 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 does it mean do you think that uh Steve is is a black man in this interpretation and i would also i would also like to point out that when she first finds him in uh in the cave or whatever uh she straight up like grabs him between the legs and asks if he's a man that's one of my favorite uh, scenes 
like I and to me that comes across across as very problematic. I mean, it is because. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, why is <laughs> All right. it? Well, I mean, she. This is a. Uh, go on. She looks. She's depicted. Could we agree she's depicted fairly white? Yeah. Or would we say a lot of people online Greek, like a lot of people online said she looks like Sasha Gray, <laughs> the porn star. Sure. Yeah, I, there's somebody here I'm <coughs> seeing, but I can't I can't place that. It it does speak of like um, white uh, privilege, I guess, oh, over oh, I like male going. bodies. All right, does that? All right, see, here's the thing. Or am I reading she, into that? In this book, we don't know her actual age, but she's obviously very young. And she's never seen a man before in her life. My my reading of this, I like none of that even entered my brain. I was just like, okay, well, she doesn't know what goes on with men. She's immediately curious. I mean, she's probably like, you know, horny and wants to know what this is about. You know, like that that was my immediate interpretation. And they're like a hypersexualized society. Yeah. Like sex is very loose with them, obviously. It's open. Yeah, it's open. You know, like we see the um in that that uh that festival, the, the festival of Diana, that like they're all having sex. Like, you know, it's like they're having an orgy and the queen's watching. You know, so I just I don't think that they are I didn't get that interpretation either. Yeah. I, I think it was just her being curious and forward sexually because it's not weird. You know, intimacy is very open in their culture. And then to address his blackness, I actually think, uh, aside from the fact that, you know, Grant is telling his own story and he's concerned with diversity and stuff like that, I think that Steve being black is really interesting because, you know, follow me here. So the the way that you would typically represent the quote-unquote world of men is with an affluent and powerful white guy. And I think that presenting Steve... As a, as a black person in the comic is sort of separating him from that in an immediate sense that like he's not like that you know like and he even makes that comparison himself right the first man we see is Hercules he's a big powerful white dude hyper masculine the next one we see is Steve a black dude in peril you know and I think that that's really important to the story that Grant is kind of trying to tell uh, and, and I really appreciated that I appreciated it because not only is it a, it a black guy being shown in a state of weakness, obviously he's a strong guy, but he's just been through some stuff. I liked it because like, hey, he's vulnerable, you know, and she picks him up and she helps him. I really, really like to see that. She rescues him. It's always Twice. the opposite. It's like a black guy dominating a white woman or being so, so masculine that he's over her, right? Like that imagery that we've seen so much. I loved the swap. That's even more powerful with him being black, I thought. Well, um, I know Morrison talked about um, like there's a lot of bondage and stuff, and having a black guy, like the imagery of chains, like the the whole over like the the whole metaphor of like slavery is, I think, like a big reason for why they made see Trevor black to kind of juxtapose it with Diana's trial. That makes a lot of sense too, definitely. Uh, so let's let's dive into the circle because again I think that's a really important book to talk about. So both books really focus on I I don't know why I can't remember her name, like Hippolyta, right? Okay. Oh yeah, 
both books focus a lot on Wonder Woman's relationship with her mother, Hippolyta. The Circle is another sort of origin story because it talks about the birth of Wonder Woman. Both books go into that to some degree. The Circle's interesting because it, it presents the birth of, of Wonder Woman as like a really negative thing in Themyscira. And I loved that. I So I never read Gail Simone's run. Like I, I never really touched it until I read this, uh, this first story. Uh, which was rather recently, and I wasn't sure what to expect because it dealt with Nazis, right? Like, it, the, <laughs> the, the the core of this, well, the, the big fight of this story is like, Gorilla Grodd has these apes, right? And then there are these Nazis all fighting in Themyscira, which is like women-only land, right? And it's just this weird, crazy juxtaposition. Um, but underneath all of that is at, at its core is a, is an origin story about Wonder Woman and how her sort of birth is viewed as this amazing uh, like revelation for their culture, but also this terrifying thing because these women can't have kids and they desperately wanted that and they felt like Hippolyta having this choosing to have this child or to create this child. Sorry, go ahead, Pete. I was going to say, just to be fair, they only means the four, the compass. I don't think so, because... The circle, if you will. I don't The circle, right. I didn't get I didn't get that impression, because they went and visited, uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but she wanted a child, and she was she had this clay child right. that they thought was real, sure, but yeah, wasn't. Yeah. And yeah, no, it says, it says somewhere in there that uh, the Amazons hadn't had a birth in hundreds of well, years. Whatever, yeah. Because, like, ever since they went to Themyscira, they became a... They, like, said they were, like, a barren race or something right. like that. Yeah, that was that was, that was was the point that I was making, that, like, they can't have kids. So the circle, those four women who are basically Hippolyta's, like, personal guard, uh, yeah. her royal guard, <clears throat> they felt like having this child that could cause chaos. No, like, I... Yeah, no, I know. I, I mean, and maybe this is just my interpretation. Uh, if you guys disagree, I'd love to have a discourse with you about it. But my interpretation was that we were m- meant to believe that, you know, they feared that that's what would happen. But we know that's not what happened. Even Hippolyta says it at the end of the book that she became the daughter of, of all of Themyscira and that it was really just the four of them because they were jealous. Well, because, well in the scene when Diana's born, everyone's celebrating. And they're like, yeah, what are we going right. to name her? And she's like, she's Diana of Themyscira. And she and they say, like, she's all of our daughter. And, yeah. and like, she makes a point that while they were in prison, that's how she was raised. And she didn't end their culture she saved it and all this that and the other i i took it to mean that like the circle was jealous because as hippolytus says you know when she's on that funeral pyre she chose them because they loved her the most and i think they were jealous that that a daughter would take their her love it was that and it was also that they were afraid that uh themiscira would turn on hippolytus on Hippolyta in jealousy. Oh, I know. I just, I personally took that to be that they were just justifying their actions because they were the ones that felt that way. I was, re- yeah. I actually, and that's what it was. This yeah. whole conversation is happening because I thought you were saying that only the circle were were unable to have kids. That's what I thought. You oh were no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. I was saying that they're the only ones who <coughs> cared. You know, who who, yeah. who yeah, yeah, had yeah. jealousy yeah. in their hearts. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, that was that was really 
uh, interesting as well because the leader, she wanted a kid. That was that was another piece of it too. That moment when she's like, "You could have been mine." Yeah, that's was... like, yeah, it was, it was never about her. It was all about you. Right. It was all about you. So again, I'm gonna address this to Pete because Pete, you're the the newest reader of Wonder Woman. I think this book probably second Wonder Woman story I ever read. Right. This book probably <laughs> gives you a better idea of Wonder Woman's values than yeah, for sure. Earth One did. So what did you get from this? Uh. So what I liked about this was the idea of so okay so I know we talked about how we're going to compare Wonder Woman to the Trinity I'd like to start doing that now in the context of this go for so it what dude I, what I took away from this was the idea that actually makes me like Wonder Woman a lot more than Superman or Batman because uh, right, because cool. Wonder Woman's a real person you know like I I love Superman um, because I think Superman is an ideal that people should aspire to. You know, I don't think anyone should try to should want to be like Batman. Um, <laughs> but Wonder Woman, she's a realist. You know, like I, I think she is merciful. She is compassionate. She you know shows that she is willing to put out a hand instead of a fist first. But she's also not above acting like doing what is necessary, right? Like. And I think that is interesting because I think that makes her a way more dynamic character that she's not as – she doesn't seem anyway based on my my limited experience with her. She doesn't seem as rigid as Superman or Batman. You know, that like she gives uh, Gorilla Grodd's army a chance to submit and, you know, and to um, to not – you know, to walk away from the fight. You know, because she sees that the conclusion of this is they kill me or I kill them or I find another way. But then when it comes to the time that there are literal Nazis on the shore of her home trying to kill her mother, she kills a bunch of them. She blows up a tank and we see men in the explosion like they're dead, you know? So like, I think that's really interesting. She's a way more dynamic character, I think, just because like she is merciful. She is, um, you know, trying to be a bastion of peace. But she's also a warrior and she's addicted to it on some level. She loves to fight. She loves you know, um, she, she, I think it's interesting that she has that fight within her. And like, this was like, I got in a conversation with Phil where I feel like there are those two distinct interpretations of her, but this book kind of seemed to show them both existing peacefully. And I thought that was really cool. Phil? They never had to be mutually exclusive. I mean, that's just the nature of interpretation, right? But, um, no, yeah, I mean, it's funny that this book came out, um, I, I, I didn't realize it when we were talking about it, Sean. Um, we were trying to select books for these two uh, Let's Read books or whatever. But I had read this book when it came out, and I have the singles of it. But at the time, I wasn't super familiar with talent because I was still – I was younger, you know. Um, but going back to Rita's, I was like, oh, I remember this. Um, and this came after, like, I think it was Amazon's Attack or something. And that was – not good in my mind. Um, and so to follow up that with Gail Simone's run, like that was a nice change of pace. Um, and yeah, I mean, Gail Simone definitely, it's funny cause she had been lobbying, I believe for a little while to write a one woman book at the time. Um, it's was, ridicu- I'm reacting like that because it's ridiculous that she would have to lobby to write. Yeah. Wonder woman. That's yeah, insane. Yeah, like, um, why is that not obvious? And it wasn't just her. I mean, there were a lot of people like uh, Gail Simone is the best, one of the best writers in the industry. She's, you know, a very uh, important 
woman in the comic industry at a time where it was even more of a boys club than it is now and it still is a boys club um so like the fact that that marriage finally happened was important obviously but uh this is this book is so comics where yeah. nazis fight gorillas <laughs> <laughs> uh sentient in super intelligent gorillas i might add don't call nazis super intelligent hi don't insult gorillas by comparing them to Nazis. <laughs> they are um, noble and beautiful creatures. The scene with Captain Nazi in this with Wonder Woman and the Lasso of Truth is uh, one of the best parts of the book. Actually. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. What an, like, and that was another thing, right? Like, I love that because that to me sold me on who Wonder Woman is. That moment of like, I feel pity even for him, even for him, you know? And it's like Captain Nazi's literally a Nazi superhero. And Wonder Woman can still find compassion. And one thing I like that Wonder Woman does in this book is, or what Gail Simone does rather, is that she ties in kind of the late 60s, early 70s mod spy Wonder Woman when she's Diana Prince. Yeah, that was so cool. Like, took me back to watching the, the TV show. Yeah, it was very interesting how, in because this was only four issues. In right. four issues, she not only established what her Wonder Woman was going to be like, she told an origin story. She established Wonder Woman's life as Diana outside of being Wonder Woman. Uh, she established her relationship with her mother. There was just so much going on. These issues were so dense, but they were – I thought they were really, really good. It doesn't feel that way though. Right. You know, it's like – it feels like such a brisk read and you're just like, man, she covered a lot of ground. I wanted to make one other point real quick is that in these first four issues – uh, she also expands Wonder Woman's like rogues gallery, which is a uh, consistent criticism because a lot of people are like, when I think of Wonder Woman, I think of like, well, Cheetah, Ares, uh, and then it gets a little dicier after that for a lot of people. And you get the circle and their motivations are really logical and they're a great like antagonistic role for Wonder Woman thematically and like legitimately. The only thing that I will say in criticism is that other than their leader, the circle has no personality whatsoever. That's fair. And I don't know if they appear again later on, but they are. I mean, no, they, of course they don't. They're all dead. But or at least the interpret the impression no. is that they're dead, or at least they're leaders. No, dead. only only the leader the dies. Leader. The rest okay. of them go back to jail. Right, yeah, drowns herself. Um, I I didn't even get the impression she died. Well, they they make the I, they tell you she drowned. They make the comment. I, I I assumed it was one of those. Oh, she got away. We never saw the body. We'll see her later. I mean, maybe that's, like, they that's, do say they never found possible. the body, but they found all the blood, and yeah. Wonder Woman true. says there was too much blood, and that gave me the impression that she was dead, but maybe it, you're right. It's one of those things where it's like, she's probably dead, but if you wanted to bring him back, right. there's, there's a thread. Yeah. Uh, so, Kale, what did you think about this? Because you said you did enjoy this one more, so. I did, yeah, and I think, I think, uh because it it for me it fit in with like my dc canon you know uh it um it did all the things that you guys described and it did it while feeling like it belonged in the universe right um you know you you can uh, well uh you know at the end of it the justice <coughs> is celebrating diana's birthday good old plastic um, man yeah. I had three pieces of cake. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I, I think I think I think that's what made it feel more at home for me. Is it it added something while still being true to stuff that was already there? Yeah, and as we continue reading for this uh, series of, on Wonder Woman, 
you're going to find that Wonder Woman's social life is is really well established by other creators and as we move along, uh, especially Greg Rucka. She, it, it's so sad because she is as deep a character as Batman and Superman. And I want to do more of a comparison between them in the next episode that we do on Wonder Woman. Um, but she's as deep a character. She's as rich a character. Uh, writers have said a lot about her. Um, and, and she's had so many amazing runs. But people just don't know that because they don't take the time to read about her. Uh, and I really hope that with this movie on the horizon, more people choose to pick up her books because they're worth your time. It's absolutely correct. We read two books for this episode, right? And Pizza Fan now. You know? Yeah, that's all it totally. took. I'm in. Like, I like Wonder Woman now. Like, those are, like, I, or at least I can like Wonder Woman. Right. And and I've been reading uh, Greg Rucka's original run and then his current run in, in the Rebirth era DC. And, and that's in, that's in addition to reading, like, her piece of Final Crisis and her piece of uh, Identity Crisis and Infinite Crisis and seeing her in those events. And I am absolutely in love with this character. I can't get enough Wonder Woman. So, I, you know, I, like, there isn't a reason not to try, not to give yeah, it man, a shot. Yeah, man, the one know? thing is, I, we, were, I, we were talking about this yesterday off mic. I, I really hope that this movie is great and I th- I hope it nails Diana's character so that it sets that standard that we're talking about so that there is the definitive Wonder Woman that people can connect with because I really think that's the problem. I really think that the fact that I don't think it's that Wonder Woman's a less good character or that there are not good good runs about her. I mean we just, you know, I- I've read two books that have proven that that's not the case, right? But I, I think that the problem is that like People just don't connect with her in the same way they do with Batman and Superman, and I don't think it's because she's a woman. You um, know, I don't think that's the problem. Ke- Kevin Smith was talking about when her, when his daughter was getting into comic books, and like he was explaining the origin stories of the big three. Um, and when he got to Wonder Woman, like he said, he saw the light in her daughter's eyes go out, and she's like, "Oh, she's made from clay." Oh, like like. Like immediately for that for her daughter for his daughter like the emotional resonance like like she couldn't re- like relate to the origin story like you could Batman Superman. It's because she's very science fiction, you know. Like it's very it's or science fantasy, I guess. But it's even though Superman comes from space, like you have the connection you, you, to him you because, get like you said, he's an everyman. Yeah, and he's like an immigrant in a lot of ways. Yeah, or. He's, you know, a small town boy from Kansas. Yeah. He's whatever you need him to be. I I definitely I definitely can understand that, but at the same time though, you know, when you're talking about definitive runs on a character, Wonder Woman has like this might be controversial to say, I don't know, but for my money, she might have more good stories told about her than Superman does. I don't know. Like in terms of runs, in terms of runs, um, you know that's something probably, we can talk about. Yeah, that's something we can talk about in the yeah. next episode. But 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 I I want to make the point that I I believe that her character is well defined. 
I believe, like, I know who Wonder Woman is in and out. And we're going to talk about that more. I know who this character is. People don't because they don't try, I feel. You've got to read the books, you know? And she has suffered the worst of those three from not having the most multimedia interpretations. She doesn't have, there is no, like, unless I'm missing something, there's no Wonder Woman animated show. That's This is all true, but this is this is where I, I think, the, like, in terms of literature, like, the Green Lantern became the third biggest character in DC under Jeff Jeff Johns' run, and it was so popular that it inspired a movie to be made. The movie sucked or whatever, but, like, that's how big that a very influential run had on that character and that IP. Um, that's the thing that, like, Wonder Woman has been really missing, is, like, a really long, lengthy run that has had a massive influence on, not, like, the firstly, the comic book reading community, but then starting to go outside of that. That, that makes sense. And like like we said, we're going to continue to talk about Wonder Woman for the next two episodes. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this talk and we'll come back for the review next week of the film. And then after that, we're going to review some more of her books and talk more about her relationship to Batman and Superman, which will be addressed in some of the stuff that we're, we'll be reading for that. All those characters will appear. Um, and, and, and more about her, you know, her, her social group. You know, who does Wonder Woman trust? Uh, who are her allies, things like that we're going to dive a lot more into. And if you want to follow along with us, uh, Brian Azzarello's run is one that we're going to be talking about. And we'll be talking a lot about Greg Rucka's run because I'm obsessed. So uh, check those, check that stuff out. And then some of her earlier stuff by Marston we'll be talking about as well. So uh, if you want to follow along with us, do read that stuff. And You got uh, two weeks, baby. You got two weeks. So jump on Tell board. us what runs you really like in yeah. books. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll include them. Absolutely. Uh, so <coughs> you can reach out to us all over the place. iTunes, leave us that sweet, sweet five-star rating, uh, especially because Pete and I have done this show. While we're sick, I think we deserve the pat on the back. Um, you can reach out to us on all the social media platforms at the Comics Pals. We'd love to hear from you guys there. Uh, Gmail, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's the comics pals at gmail.com. You can leave us a random question. You can write a buy or sell to us. You can let us know what is on your poll, your hashtag pals poll, uh, and anything else you want to tell us about, you can do so there. And YouTube, if you are watching this on YouTube, leave us a like, leave us a comment, subscribe to our channel. We really, really appreciate those subscribes. And also those shares are super important. Let other people know what we are doing. Um, so that, that's it. That about wrap, wraps us up. Let's do some plugs. Pete. Cool. Uh, thanks again for joining us here on this episode of the Comics Pals. If you guys want some more from me, you can go check out my writing over at CBR.com. Um, help me pay the bills. I've got an article coming out this week about uh, 15 times Wonder Woman has killed. So if you want to get some more of your Wonder Woman fix before the movie comes out, come check it out. Uh, and then uh, if you want to go check out our other podcast that me and Sean do uh, along with um, Andy and Thompson called The Video Game Pals, it will be up tomorrow on audio services and on Wednesday on YouTube. So uh, please come check that out. And if you want to get me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete. Awesome. Talk to me about Wonder Woman. Kale. Uh, we haven't done this in a while. I'm going to plug uh, Letty Wilson, uh, who's an amazing art, an amazing artist and writer. Uh, she's the one who uh, made uh, our logo. And uh, all our uh, the little faces on Both our logo, as well as the video game pals logo, 
she has a, a self-published um, webcomic that comes out. Uh, she releases a page every week of uh, uh, a title called Owl People. Uh, you can find her uh, books with Panels Publishing at uh, panelspublishing.com. Uh, it's on Comixology and uh, Selfie. And then uh, you can also find her on Twitter at Patchwork Person. Uh, you find her Tumblr at uh, LettyDraws.tumblr.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Uh, Phil, go for it. Uh, you can find me on all the social media platforms. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at T O T O B I N G O. You can find me at Cyborg Bebop. Oh, man. Uh, man. Uh, <laughs> and Marco, you can find him as Woe is Marco underscore and Woe is Marco. I don't know why you'd want to follow him, but you could if you want to. Yes, Marco, you were missed on this episode, and we'll have you back next week. Uh, I do want to say Chris Sabella's Short Order Crooks was a successful Kickstarter. I like to think that we might have had something to do with that. Very happy to say that the CP uh, bump that worked out, and um, so you can get your if you want. It's still up, I believe. I don't think it's over yeah, it until is. four days from now. So you can still get involved in that if you would like to, and you can reach out to him on Twitter at Xtop. Um, also, I already teased it on Twitter. We're going to be in the book, so go fucking do it. Get your copies, man. Yes, we are We are going to appear in that comic. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Soapbox. Uh, let's talk about wrestling and the comics because that's what's on my mind lately. So with that being said... Lately? <laughs> well, you know. With that, be, with that being said, we are the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Bye.